The intermediate line advises a language and concept warning for the entire show. G'day, Mark here. And if it's Saturday, you know I'm going to be listening to the intermediate line with Chris and Bolts. Take it away, fellas. This episode of the intermediate line is brought to you by Nervous Water. For all your premium fly fishing requirements, please visit nervouswater.com.au. And Beast Brushes, Australian-made brushes and dubbing, professionally graded natural materials, plus a full shop for all of your fly tying needs at beastbrushes.com. So welcome back, listeners, to another fantastic episode of the Intermediate Line. It's your host tonight, Voltsy, and um, we're missing someone. I'll, I'll let you guess who it is later on, um, but it rhymes with uh, <laughs> rhymes with Chris. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I'm joined tonight by a good mate and fellow keen fly fisherman, and no stranger to the Intermediate Line. One of my favourite supporters of the Intermediate Line has been with us from the start. Um, Bill Mitchell, how you doing, Bill? Yeah, great. Thanks, mate. Good to be back on. It's oh, mate, always, it's always, always a, ple- a pleasure. Yeah, well, yeah. it is always a pleasure coming on. So, yeah, thanks. It's, it's always a fun um, time having Bill on. And um, sometimes I forget, like, um, Bill and I might, you know, have a fondness for each other that other people don't know. We go back a long ways, Bill and I, to be close to probably 15 or even more years. How old's Ruby, mate, your daughter? She is 16 years old, so yes, it goes yeah. back to that time. Yeah, yeah she was yeah. in Nappy yeah, a long time. Met you. Yeah, so um, that gives you an idea. And um, uh, for people who don't know, Bill, Bill's in uh, in the uh, in the heart of North Queensland up there in Townsville. Um, and Cowboys country. Yeah, Cowboys country it is, yeah. And um, I've been very fortunate that, to travel to, to Townsville quite regularly with work, and that's how I struck up relationship with Bill. Bill's... Um, a uh, very keen fly fisherman. Um, he's, um, and I hope I don't embarrass him here, but he's he's well experienced uh, across so many types of fly fishing. He's travelled a lot through his work as well, um, not just uh, tropical flats fishing. He's done a lot of um, of non tropical, uh, or sorry, non non tropical fly fishing. Done a lot of chase salmonids across the across the world. Uh, Jungle perch. He's done a lot of non-fly fishing too up north, like Barra. A lot of those North Queenslanders yep. know catch Barra, Spanish, all that sort of stuff. So, um, 
Yeah, Bill's yeah. got a broad experience base. Um, I hope that's not embarrassing for you to hear that, Bill. But um, no, that's all good. I, I grew up. I grew up throwing, you know, rattling spots and those sorts of yeah. lures at Barra when I was a kid. Uh, and you know, you didn't have a thread line back then. You, you only used a bait caster. If you couldn't use a bait caster, you were probably a bit of a moron. So uh, <laughs> things have changed, of course. And, <laughs> and egg beaters, as we called them, uh, are no uh, rather they're back in those days. You. You wanted a you wanted a bait caster, yeah, yeah. Was it um, what was the rod of choice back then, mate? Was it the ugly stick with a funny looking oh, pistol? No, no. The most desirable rod was, I think it was called a, a mag, Shimano mag bass or something like that. It had a thick butt section. Yep. Um, it it. Uh, I mean, I could never afford one. Uh, I did save my pennies, and my first really serious reel was a bantam. I think yep. it was a fifth bantam fifty, uh, and but I had everyone wanted abus. You know, abus were the duck's guts. So yeah, you know, we used to go down the local tackle store, Lounge Pro Tackle, as it was in those days, yeah, uh, and spend our spend our hard earned on all sorts of things. Don't recall ever there being a fly section in that shop, but um, I'm sure there were people fishing fly back in towns on those days. But certainly, you know, we as teenagers didn't. We we fished lures, hard body lures, yeah. Um, for Barra and Jacks and that sort of stuff. So, yeah, good fun. I, I still – I don't do it very often, um, but I still like a bit of a bottom bounce at the reef or something, you know, that sort of lucky dip fishing. So, yeah, but yeah. mostly fly fishing these days. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny you should mention that, and this is a total um, a total sideline to what we're talking about tonight. But, you know, pre-internet, it would have been hard to acquire uh, fly fishing knowledge and fly fishing products Um you know, locally in in Townsville, if the, if the shops didn't have it, right? So it would have been hard to yeah. take up, take up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it would have been, and and you know, I guess you know, one of my ambitions is to beat Steve Starling on number of downloads on this podcast. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this is a joke. We're pretty close behind him at the moment, but uh, you know, if the listeners out there could give us a hand this time, uh, <laughs> and I say that out of the greatest respect and admiration for Steve, because Steve was one of my heroes when I was a teenager. Same here. I don't know, he's probably not that much older than me, to be honest. But you know, I read his stories in. I'll get it wrong. I'm, was it modern fishing he was in, or was it Fishing World? I think it was both. modern fishing, wasn't it? Oh, yeah, both. Yeah, was, there you go. He was actually in both. So, yeah, but he. So, uh, yeah. 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 I think so it's, um, it's great. It's great. Sorry, you go, mate. I oh, know it. it uh, yeah, he he definitely did both. I was um, he corrected me on that on the podcast actually because I, I actually thought it was only modern fishing, but he he started off in fishing world and uh, and then made the jump. So um, and you know his photography was as uh, was as sharp. His fishing photography was probably as sharp as his written stuff, and also his um, um, it was in- inspirational for a lot of people, including me. You know, so yeah, yeah, yeah. We grew up, and I grew up listening to well, not listening, but uh, reading, of course, what Harrison uh, and many other notable fishing writers of the time uh, who were able to, you know, bring bring on the days you couldn't fish, you know, they'd bring it into your lounge room, and you know, you'd you'd bust a move down the shop to get the most recent magazine because there was no other way of getting fishing unless you joined a club or you. And tackle stores were, of course, the internet of those days. You know, you, all the tackle rats would get down the, the tackle store and look at the latest and greatest and perv on all the new reels and things we, we I couldn't afford. Um, so, yeah, so, you know, the, the magazine articles gave us a lot of inspiration and just, the, you know, the, the evolution of lures. And I guess when I read Fly Life and I go back a bit, 
or any of those magazines now, you see the evolution of flies mm. in much the same way as we saw the evolution of tackle and techniques in the conventional in the conventional scene. So, yeah, I've got a lot of respect and a call out to Steve uh, for a guy who's done it across all types of fishing uh, and been successful at all and been a nice bloke to boot. So, on you, Steve. Yeah. <laughs> but we still want to beat his download. So, <laughs> yeah. To be fair, I think I think a lot of Steve's attraction was. Uh, not only his excellent um, history and and um, and uh, the the uh, the stuff he presented, but um, the elephant in the room was there was a number of listens that people told us they just wanted to, to hear the story about the dugong again. So, do you have any uh, do you have any dugong stories, Bill? <laughs> Not that I can tell publicly. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I was just rem- I was I was just remarking to someone the other day that that um, that sailors must have drank an awful lot of rum to think that. <laughs> You know, dugongs and manatees were, you know, the siren song of these gorgeous mermaids. Well, I mean, you know, they would have felt the the harsh fish or the harsh eel grass breath and the and the pretty substantial bristles against their cheeks had they tried to be intimate with a with a um, dugong. So, you know, I thought, geez, I tell you what, they must have drunk a lot of rum. They must have drunk a whole lot more rum than I ever did. Um, or have, um, but yeah. So no, I don't. I don't have any recent dugong stories. But we were laughing about just how, just how funny some of those stories are about you know the, the siren song and the, the sailor falling in love with the mermaid, who turns out to be a dugong or a manatee or, you know, or a walrus or a seal or something that is really in no way represents what we imagine mermaids to look like. So yeah, okay, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, it's not a dugong story, but I guess it's the dugong story for for sailors over time so beware of uh, rum i guess is the, the lesson there um, <laughs> <laughs> having said that i'm uh, sponsored tonight by lord byron uh, oh, yeah. rum, which i'm enjoying a lot yeah it's delicious made in byron bay and, and very tasty so yeah okay good um for uh, listeners who aren't aware of bill's uh secondary passion behind uh but behind fly fishing and family would be uh rum collection and um the real connoisseur of rums uh particularly caribbeans yes um yeah so yeah. and i've learned a lot lot through um through drinking rum with bill so <laughs> well i i've learned a lot and i think i've probably forgotten more than i've learned unfortunately from those from those experiences but yes uh there's a fine tradition i think i mentioned on the last time the fine tradition of you know the story of, you know we live in the antipodes ourselves and the story of the caribbean is the story of the antipodes and the the escape from colonial yep. rule and all those things. So, yeah, it's very interesting. But um, one day I hope to get there and fish for bonefish and, and uh, visit some of those places. So, yeah, that's very off yeah. track. Sorry. No, no, it, it is off track, but it's actually a circular track that we're going to be talking about tonight. Um, of course. And, yeah, um, I'll just, before we talk about what we're going to talk about tonight, I'm sponsored tonight by um, um, your namesake, Bill. It's called Mad Dog. It's an alcoholic lemonade. And um, yeah, it's a, it's pretty tasty. I just I'm, I'm up here on holidays at the moment, so I've been hitting that every night, and um, it's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. I haven't haven't ever tasted an alcoholic lemonade. So, yeah, uh, it's just easier to dress it up for the kids, I guess. So, mm. oh yeah, what well, they think Dad's having a soft drink. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Dad's doesn't like perks. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> like Dad's right, but. Yeah, so anyway... Well, the, the day they discover that and have some of Dad's lemonade will be the problem, I guess, but anyway. <laughs> oh, Dad's lemonade tastes funny. Actually, it tastes good. Yeah, yeah. Dad, get, a whole lot, 
punnier when he has a mad dog. You've got to be careful with those sorts of stories with kids, as you know. So, yeah. Well, I hope they're having a good holiday at the moment. And I hope they do get out to have a bit of a, a fish for a flatty or a whiting or something like that because that's what our holidays are made of from when we were kids. Yeah. Yeah, there's got to be a bit of that happening. So, a bit here and there. Yeah. Yep. Um, but anyway, tonight we should get on track. We've been waffling for nine minutes. Of course. Minutes, sorry. No, that's all right. That's all right. Just setting the scene. Um, listeners, um, Bill and I will be talking about flats flies tonight um, and a whole lot of peripheral topics. Um, and it's a, it's a favourite thing that Bill and I talk about a lot, actually, is is the history of, of flats flies and their influence on where we're at currently. Um, uh, Bill has, um, I know I've already sold Bill to you as a flats fisherman, but he, you know, he, uh, where he, where he fishes, he routinely catches a lot of golden trevally permit tuskies um well, uh, not a lot of, not a just a clarification not a lot of <laughs> or tuskies yeah. but yes yeah some that yeah yeah <laughs> enough they always need that clarification yeah no never never enough but some yeah yeah, yeah. sorry mate. Yeah. yeah that's true that's true but certainly lots of slady uh, bastards as they're now known and goldies and, and all that yeah. sorts of you know favorite flats fish yeah so um and Bill and I have spent many hours, um, sometimes with a Caribbean rum, sometimes yep. not, um, discussing discussing flies um, and, you know, a whole, whole bunch of things down to materials. And I know I know Chris would be loving to, to have some input tonight and, you know, maybe we can have a part two in the future about, yeah, sure. um, you know, his knowledge of materials and, and how they fish is, is second to none. Um, yeah. But, um, yeah, it, uh, it's interesting um, – to, to think about you know where where a lot of these flies originally come from so yeah um bill in your understanding like where do you uh where do you see the origins of flat fishing well i mean you know the of course fly fishing has been done all over the place but the yep. origins of saltwater flats fishing are predominantly in florida uh, and so yeah you know most of what we know and use now has some genesis in the Florida Keys or the, and I mean the, the whole system all the way up Florida and up into the Panhandle. Um, yep. So, you know, Florida more generally uh, was the birthplace of fly, saltwater fly fishing. And, you know, the two key game sports uh, species uh, were tarpon and bonefish. Uh, yep. So, you know, obviously very, very different quarry, uh, but flats fishing as it was, you know, really evolved around those two. Uh, those two species, those key species, I guess. Yeah. Um, other things like permit came a little bit later, and then obviously other flat species like redfish and and trout and those things came yep. even later. But uh, yeah, but the ones that people which were paying guides to fish for was tarpon and bonefish. Yeah, they they were, um, you know, to borrow the the term that Hughes was it Hughes or Maverick said they um they invented the boat that invented the sport. Correct. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is might sound grandiose, but it's you know that that's probably a, a good way to look at it. Um, and uh, you know, one species you you didn't mention, but maybe um, would would hold a lot of um, crossover to the Australians is snook or snook, depending on which part of America you come from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, they tend to be in, they tend to be more in the more in the mangroves. They're much more like our barramundi, and and, yep. and I guess when you see the patterns that were tied originally for tarpon and bonefish, a lot of those fish like redfish and snook have patterns that are an amalgam or a hybrid of those 
original patterns because, you know, people in those days tied with what they had uh, mm. and there were not so many people tying patterns for those fish in the start predominantly, well, guides mostly, and then later on uh, some, you know, commercial tyres and we can talk yep. about those people a bit later on. I'm not in detail. I don't have a huge history of it. But, um, yeah, so, I mean, a lot of the patterns you see come out of those two, those two, they're refinements on hybrids from those two species flies, I guess. So, um, you know, everything sort of starts there, I guess, uh, is a fair thing to say. Yeah. Yeah, well, that, um, yeah, that, that's a very good point. Um, so where do you want to start with this? Um, well, let, let's choose, let's, we've got to start somewhere. Well, let's look at tarpon as probably the least, um, you know, species that has least crossover into, you know, Australian style um, uh, flats fishing and probably the least um, influence. Yeah. I'm not saying it it's doesn't have influence. It certainly does. But, uh, you know, tarpon, for, for a lot of the Australians who, who are listening, um, there are uh, a lot of the, the, say, the eats from tarpon come from a fly that is sitting above it. So we're not, we're not tying a fly that plummets to the bottom the fish are coming from underneath so you know the flies are sort of slow sinking sometimes floating um and the fish comes from yeah. underneath so there's a lot of uh you know the concentration on on the materials and i think bill correct me if i'm wrong like some of the original patterns were were based on the key style of pattern right correct yeah that's right so yeah i mean look there are again as many different sorts of traditional keys patterns as anything yep. else um but for us as australian fly fishermen where we've seen those patterns move is really in our not our top water but more of our uh i guess backcountry fishing you might call it so you know yep. fishing for barramundi and and all those estuary northern estuary species but as well as many of the species that are in southern estuaries as well uh, although mm. of course the, the the bass fishery in australia owes a lot to the bass fishery in america but we're not really talking about those flies and not talking about flat flies so yeah yeah def definitely if definitely if you look in a in a barra fisherman's fly box these days you'll see flies that would be equally at home and in fact are not mm. too far removed from uh backcountry tarp and and snook and you know i mean what people don't realize is you can throw a fly at a, at a snag in florida and catch a, a small tarpon or a redfish or a snook and in fact i caught all three species on you know, one sort of patch of snags one day fishing, fishing over there. So, so they're really not a different environment. So we we definitely um, when we fish around the peripheries of flats, uh, and often we're fishing those places when the flats uh, aren't right. You know, if you're fishing up somewhere up north, often you'll fish the mangroves. You know, at at, at first light and last light when mm. it's actually very good fishing those places because you can't see on the flats. So. You know, yep. you're kind of chasing a few barra or jacks or something until the flats get good. You need that elevation of sun to see in. Yeah. So, you know, the, you know those, but the, the difference is, I guess, we don't chase barramundi on the, well, we do chase them on the beaches and we do chase them on the flats to some extent, but like tarpon. But in any event, the flies that we've designed to fish for those fish, the fish that look up and, and uh, engulf flies in that way, you know, are really no different. And... Uh, when yep. I look at a lot of barramundi flies, I just see I see old tarpon flies. You know, you've got those classic patterns that keep repeating. Not mm. so much the splayed the splayed hackled flies, which are the more traditional yeah. keys patterns, um, although they would be effective. But the, I'm I'm thinking of the patterns like the seducer, um, yep. the, the toad. Um, you know, all of those 
those flies with rabbit strip and buckle bunny and and you know, uh, palm mm. and hackle collars where you get so much pulse and movement just from a bit of a jiggle. So, yeah, it's almost identical fishing. And um, I think it's one of the reasons why when Aussies go over and fish Florida, they love that Everglades country a lot because it's, yeah. um, it's very similar. So the flies are almost the same. But, yep. yeah, you're really on the periphery of the flats there, though, because you, you've sort of come off the – you've come off that country to fish that, that – that uh, that back country when I mean you could fish that all day long I would be happy doing that but uh, if you if you're fishing the flats that's where you want to be you're only in the in the mangroves when you you can't see on the flats or you cloud it out or something like that I guess too yeah yeah Did, is it just me I mean you've you've got a lot more experience fishing than this particular fly than I have the one I'm about to bring up it's called um the barra bunny and I know it was sort of um, yeah. um localized and popularized locally by um by Australian fly fishing outfitters, Dave and and, yeah. and Rod and um and that it's it's an incredible fly when when tied uh, properly. And in fact, sometimes I wonder um, if you know Sparser is better on that. I mean, that's a personal opinion, and yeah, um, you know, yeah, like but a, a, a properly tied one of those, it just moves so seductively, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely. There's a couple of iterations of it too, and Dave himself and others, commercial tires yeah. have tied it differently over the years. Like you've it did used to be a double a double tail uh, bunny, you know, with the with the the rabbit skin facing towards each other, you know, yeah. as it come out the back of the back of the bend. Uh, it's a lot of them are tied single single strip bunny now. Um, so, you know, I don't I, I fish the single strip one, but I don't I think it's probably important to say that that's actually a Dave Bradley fly, and there's a whole lot of talk about who did uh, design that fly, but. <laughs> I think it's pretty clear that that's Dave's fly, but of yeah. course, you know Dave's Dave's also a student of tarpon fishing, and course, he would yeah. have no would have no doubt had inspiration from many of those flies that use, because of course you know a fish like a tarpon that's sliding really slow, and you just need to tickle that fly in front of its face. You, you, yeah. you just need as much movement out of that fly as you can. So, um, but yeah, it's certainly a fly that that does a lot. When it's doing nothing, and that's then that's that's really the key for that fly. But uh, and I think, for example, it does probably more than a toad. A toad really gets its pulse from when you strip it because that marabou, mm. that marabou contracts and then pulses again. The head, the head just keeps it suspended at the right level, uh, but the um, the tail of the bunny, you know, is just seductive. As it, it really does wiggle and waggle. And um, the, the only drawback with that fly is you fish real skin with it and it can be a bit you know wet and zonk it can be a bit slappy down when you throw slappy. it yeah yeah so you know that's that's the, those sorts it's not a, it's not a fly for absolutely every occasion but i think if you can get away with throwing it it certainly gets a lot of bites and everything eats it uh, that's the other thing about that fly is that you know in the hinchy comp as we talked about i think i didn't probably you know maybe we use a clouser as the other fly but you could certainly fish all of the estuary species you know, cod, yep. jack, barra, all those things, GTs, all those things on that flight because it's just got a hell of a lot of movement. It looks a lot bigger than it is in the water, um, which is important. And and typically I fish it in colours, which are, you know, what we call blurple, black and purple, uh, because that's a great low-light fly colour and it's, it creates a, a very strong uh, silhouette, yeah. uh, and which, you know, which gives rise to a, you know, a, a decent prey image, which we'll talk a bit about later, no doubt. But... You know, who knows what they think it is, but it's certainly got seductive movement. So it could be anything just fitting along. And sure. I sometimes think it's kind of like the – sometimes if you think about how flies move and why they're attractive to fish, uh, I think for that particular fly, 
it's just there and it's hanging and it, for all intents and purposes, it almost looks like a little bait fish or something that doesn't know that there's a predator somewhere there below. So it, it looks prone and I think that's kind of part of its attraction. Um, and you can also keep that fly in the zone for a long time. And this is critically important for barramundi, but yeah. But yeah, I've thrown it on the flats and at, at Barron, um, and the only time I change up is usually when, um, you know, it's just a bit too heavy or it's a bit too skinny for them. But you can downsize that fly. And this mm. is the other thing we should always recommend is that even if a, if a fly is too big or too bulky or something like that, you can always trim it down and you can scale it down or you can p put it on a smaller hook with smaller yep. weight. Yeah, and that, that's, and that is a feature of a lot of the old keys patterns where, you know, you'll have a, what is essentially the same fly tied for tarpon on a 2.0 and you'll have the same fly tied for bonefish on a number four. And so the, uh, the triple threat, um, the quan, there's loads of examples of, of traditional flies mm. that are both tarpon and, and bonefish, you know, tied to flip, one's tied to flip, one's tied to ride point down, but they're the same fly. Yeah, yeah, that, it's a really interesting um, point you make there because uh, it is uh, it is a very versatile fly in, in the colours, in the size, in the proportion, um, and even to the materials you use. For example, in the collar, you can yeah you can mix it up in the collar and it sort of, you know, that can determine a little bit the, the profile that it presents, the prey image, yeah. as you call it. Um, yeah. you can also most, people use, most people use brush these days, but... Yeah, yeah. Mostly, it's a it's a zonka strip tail and a brush collar, uh, and and principally you'd use mono bead chain as opposed to you know something heavier. What what colours do you like? Well, that's a good point. Um, I just always taken the the guide's advice when I'm up there, which is you know all the fishing yeah. I've done. I've been been fishing with people who um, I've been very happy to take their advice up there. They were a lot more experienced than I, but invariably it ends up. Um, black and purple, as you mentioned, yeah, um, blue, straight yeah. black. Um, yeah. I've tied up a bunch in in mullet colours. Um, oh yeah, yeah, that'd be good. Yeah, yeah, but I just haven't got around to using them on Barrow. I've actually repurposed them um, on Saratoga <clears throat> down here in um, in uh, oh, yeah, they, Brisbane. They'd, yeah, be a great yeah. toga fly. Yeah, well, yeah, you've got to have a couple of other colours in your fly box. And as as a famous fly tire once said, "If it ain't chartreuse, it ain't no good." Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a bit of a variation on the theme. Um, so yeah. all chartreuse, which is often a combination on that fly of a the more yellow tail, the more yellow chartreuse, and the more lime chartreuse on the yeah. on the collar. Um, but all tan is all tan is very good, and all white. Is oh, yeah, yeah, all white. Yeah. Now tell me, do you do you feel like that's a fly you present to say you know you're out on the flats um, and say. There's a there's a reasonable size GT or a uh, or a <laughs> I see where this is going. <laughs> I got to I got to admit to uh, to everybody here. I got to disclose um, the best best flats GT that I ever hooked was on a was on a one o sort of grey. Would you call it a grey white tan sort of colour combo of um of a barra bunny? Um, yeah, it was a bunny. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, that that's uh, one of the most incredible eats I've seen in my life, uh, Amos. Mapleston did one of the most incredible jobs to track a big GT and not disturb it, get us in front of it. You made a great cast, and that Thank thing you. just blew up on the fly like crazy and then just went off the flat like a freight train. And mm. unfortunately, the butt section of your leader touched a bit of coral and it and it broke off. But that was a, a true record fish on a just tootling down a isolated coral flat and it ate oh. a little barra bunny 
Yeah, and that's the thing that that yeah the times I've been on a boat with guides and there's a jeep coming, you look at the flies and they'll always say pick up the bunny because they mm. know that it's got a truckload of movement. It's enticing, you know. The, the two you know mostly tight with a one hour two hour SL twelve S. Yeah. Which is probably not not ideal for a sixty pound jeep, which yours was probably pretty close to, I'd say. Um, but yeah. it's gonna you get it in the corner of the mouth and it'll probably stick. And you know, so yeah, it's a versatile fly. I mean, we're only limited to the fly's application by how we apply it ourselves. And that, I guess that's one of the things is that when you we're all beneficiaries of people's experimentation and evolution. So yeah. you know, um, I. I reckon I'd be just as happy throwing a bunny at a, at a GT than, a, you know, some of the more bog-standard flies that people, you know, things like brush flies. And it was fascinating to listen to Al talk about flat wings. And just, it's a revelation that there's a fly that gets eaten just as regularly, but that is actually easier to cast. And I mean, yeah. if, if I was going to focus on one thing on the flats with a howling wind coming across the wrong shoulder and a big jeet surging on you, you are going to have the casting spooks like you've never had in your life. I mean, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe there are people out there who are, I'm a generally pretty, you know, ordered person. I've done a lot of complex, as you know, advocacy in my life. I don't get, I don't get kind of the jitters quickly. But I tell you, big GT is going to do that to me. So, if anything makes that casting <laughs> trick easier, like a, uh, and I'm going to buy some flat wings of hell, you know, just because I. I think yep. it's just it's just a brilliant application of an old traditional pattern, which is a salmon pattern. So, yeah, you know, I, I guess that's the that's the talk of tonight. Is is flats flies come don't all come from flats? They come from other places as well, um, but mostly they do come from flats. So, yeah. yeah, what what a great application of a salmon fly to catch a fifty pound GT. I mean, it just makes me smile. I oh, know. Yeah. So for people who aren't familiar with who we're talking about, uh, Al's Al can be found on. On uh, Instagram as Caterfly, uh, that's K E E T A Fly, um, yeah. and and Al yeah he ties incredible flat wings. In fact, in fact, in fact, <laughs> in fact, he ties um <laughs> he ties some very innovative patterns, um, and he ties them very well. And like he absolutely uh, loves, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah beautiful he, flies. Yeah, and you, you can you can find them at um oh the the you can buy them off. The, the co-op there, uh, Chris's site, Beast Brushes, yep. Australian Fly Tires Co-op, um, and, you know, that uh, they're, they're really good, really good stuff. And, um, uh, and he, loves being called a, he loves being called a long one fluff chucker too, I think. Yeah. Al. I saw him smiling <laughs> in that, that recent episode. Oh, yeah. Shout out to you, Al, you, you long one fluff chucker, mate. Good, good on you. Um, he'll have a smile at that. But, um, yeah. yeah, so, I mean, that just, that's just one example that, and that, yep. that fly definitely came from the from generations of tarpon flies that and and the mm. color that you know when I first fished tarpon I realised that the colours that they used for those tarpon patterns were purple chartreuse tan white white with red like you know a lot of the working out's been done and so uh, mm. we we don't de we often we don't deviate from tradition as much as we think we do. Um, because because of that kind of it's the the slow boiling you know the the old story of whatever it is sitting in a, a jug of boiling water that doesn't feel the water slowly heating up well the evolution of flies has been like that we don't yep. see every step along the way so we get to the point and say hey that's so novel mm. um, and I was thinking about this the other day the flexo crabs a great example of that that pattern's been around forever it has you know, yeah. that was an, that was an that was an Orvis pattern I bought that as an Orvis pattern in uh, Orvis shop in New York. Oh, I don't know, 
15 years ago. Um, yeah. And all of a sudden, everything is new again. And, and yes, there's been some tweaks and it's been upsized and it's, you know, it's got different material. But, but the basic premise of that fly, which originally was made so it would sit on the bottom and the fish could see the substrate through the mesh yeah. and it looked like a crab that had half settled into the substrate. Mm-hmm. That was the, that was the original that was the original fly designer's idea. Yeah. Um, I don't see that talked about a lot now, but that was where that fly came from. Now it's been popularised by the Seychelles uh, and other places. Um, <clears> I yeah. haven't had that much success with it myself. Have you had much success throwing that fly yourself? <laughs> no, I haven't. But I um, I don't tie it on very often. Um, yeah, uh, I'm not disparaging, and I'm just saying I haven't used it much. Y- yeah, yeah, same here. And. That that's it. I mean, I I do love whipping on it, but it's not. Um, it is obviously a really effective pattern, and, and so many, so many um, Australians and and Seychelles visitors have got you know numerous and and their permit on that pattern, their first permit, whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you know, um, you can start to see how that pattern's been refined, made more realistic over time. Um, yeah. And yeah, it it's. It's an, uh, I guess my point. My point is, yeah. there's nothing new under the there's nothing new under the sun when it comes That's to correct. solid yeah. fly tying. And I guess we can we'll we'll probably tell a bunch more stories tonight about how that is evidenced by the evolution yep. of patterns. Yeah. Bef- yeah. Before we, uh, it seems like it's a natural a natural progression to get on to get onto crab fl- flies at some point, and, yeah, and maybe yeah. we do that sooner rather than later. But yeah, just want to talk crabby. about that. yeah just before that though that. From a hydrodynamic point of view, the um, oh, the original keys flies. Um, uh, I'm talking about the seducer. Um, oh yeah, yeah, great fly. Yeah, 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 and uh, the seducer for people who, who to save you googling it was imagine a, a, a you know medium shank <coughs> length um, length shanked hook like a three four double oh seven or any yes. regular Shaughnessy pattern. You had you know two opposing hackles sort of at Splayed. the tail. Splayed Splayed out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And in front of that, your collar, instead of, um, you know, what you're probably used to seeing as a, as a collar, is was actually um, palmed hackles to, to stick out. Um, yeah. So it did push a little bit of water, and it did sort of stabilise the, the fly uh, a little in the water, but it also sort of, um, you know, there was a lot of vibration from those pulsing, um, you know, collar hackles as well as the, the tail hackles. There's a lot actually going on there. It might, might oh, look yeah. really simple, but, you know... Um, and in fact, my my first tarpon in Florida came on a derivation. Oh, it was um, as an SS flies. I can't even remember the oh, name yeah, of it. Yeah, yeah. yeah it, an SS it, seducer. Yeah. Might have been. Yeah, it was. Yeah. A, it's a tan looking one. But it, anyway, the the guide selected it and said, "Look, just throw this. There's a there's a weed line. Um, there'll be so the floating weeds across the surface, and um, and uh, <clears throat> underneath the floating weeds, you get like prawns and shrimp, like to hide." Uh, gives them some shelter and a, and a tarpon just cruise along underneath, like literally picking the, the shrimp off the off this floating this floating grass, and um, and this it, this thing looked exactly like you'd imagine a, a shrimp uh, kicking along would would look and feel, yeah. and yeah, the, the tarpon pounded it, um, and it was it yeah. was such a cool cool thing, you know, um, uh, you know, catching your first tarpon in Florida on a on a old school pattern was just mind blowing. For me, you know, yeah. like it was sort of completed the circle. Um, I mean, if they if they had better flies, they'd be using them. I mean, I, yeah. I, I, I yeah, when I fished Florida, I fished the. We, we, I didn't use the seducer on tarpon, but we fished yeah. the no motor zone, the weed banks, and the beds uh, mm-hmm. for redfish. 
and yep. um, we use seducers on those, and it lands so light. It does, and it yep. suspends so slowly, and it doesn't it doesn't get stuck in the weed. And so, what people don't realise is a lot of the flats in in America have got weed bottoms, and if your flies on the bottom, you're actually hooked up in the weed, even yep. though the fish is sitting in the weed, looking up or looking down, depending on the fish. Yeah. Um, you know, tailing tailing redfish over there, and tailing redfish isn't a big fish. It's it's somewhere between you know a twelve pounder would be a, a trophy. Uh, you know, I think I've got a couple around that eight mm. to ten pound, mark, maybe an eight pound mark. Uh, we had a, I had a ball on them one morning, just throwing seducers and just just they would you could just slide them in so lightly. You literally, it's the fly you can feather in. So yep. uh, yeah, they, fantastic classic pattern. Which you know. When was the last time someone said they fished the seducer on something here? Well, I'm sure if they did, they'd catch a lot of fish. I mean, I don't. I've fished them from time to time, but uh, yeah, just, you know, that's a fly that works. Simple as that. It, it does, isn't it? There's, a, there's always a pragmatic streak, particularly in, in the older school flies, you know, why why they design them like they did, you know. Yeah. Um, and that, that definitely yeah, that one. Yeah. That, that one too, yeah. And it's just so easy to cast. It's like throwing a dart, you yeah. know, like it. It just flies so well, flies straight, enters the water, lands softly, you know, just settles well. It's, it's, a, it's a good looking fly for, for that style of fishing. Um, it's not too dissimilar, really, to any of, this, any of the palm and hackle flies, like, you know, you know, muddler style flies. I mean, you know, again, I listened to an interesting podcast in August the other week about matching, you know, when, when saltwater fly fishermen. So water fly fishermen don't need to match the hatch in the same way freshwater fly fishermen do because yep. freshwater fly fishermen are, you know, confronted with a vast array of aquatic and terrestrial species that they've got to imitate in order yep. to find, that, you know, the one thing that a trout is eating, whereas we don't have the same range of food types, uh, but our fish are acting in very different ways. They're generally moving a lot faster. You know, maybe they're holding in current, but so, you know, it's interesting that, um, you know, really... Uh, traditional, quite simple patterns can still match the hats very easily. And, and that, that palm and hackle pattern you'll see repeated in bonefish flies like the Miko special um, and others where you've got a, a very, you know, a downsized, uh, it's got obviously got dumbbell eyes or bead chain generally. You'll have a little bit of something out the back, marabou or splayed, small, very small splayed hackles. Mm. And then you'll have uh, possibly a bit of um, chenille, uh, along the along the shank, and then you'll have that that hackle palmed through the chenille to give it that kind of nice bristly kind of uh, appearance and a bit of a shrimpy segmented body. So you know you see those same tying techniques repeated in the you know tarpon to bonefish, and there's a whole lot of those examples over time where you know what they tied for the bigger fish to suspend in their face, they also tied in a different version to be on the bottom like a. Yeah, good good tying techniques don't go out of style. I guess is the point. Yeah, and yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. And uh, you know, sometimes if people need to look forward to you know what um uh, you know to what's going to be the next big thing, or even you know they want to have got a specific specific scenario in mind, perhaps um uh you know that that requires a unique solution. Then you know maybe look at something that's, you know, worked previously and, and yeah. deconstructed a bit and pull the yeah. bits that work for your new scenario, um, yeah. Yeah. you know, rather than going straight into it thinking, oh, you know, I'm going to fish for this fish and it only eats this, therefore I'm only going to do that. You know, sometimes yeah. it, it takes to maybe stay, take a step back, have a think about it yeah. and deconstruct it a bit. Um, 
Well, look at, look, I mean, crab flies are a great example of that. They, I, haven't, yeah. they haven't changed that much over time. If you look at the crab flies that Nat Ragland and Del Brown and, mm. um, you know, Tim, Tim, we should devote part of this time to Tim Borsky, uh, yeah. who is all of our idols. Um, it, you know, the quality and the detail of those patterns is not dissimilar to what people are using now. Yes. Um, let's remove from the dynamic for a moment the highly imitative crab patterns because they are very much their own thing. But if you look at things like the VGDC and the you know the, the various iterations of crab flies that people are still using, still catching permit and tuskies and things on, they're not mm. that far removed from you know the raghead crab or Dell's merkin or the you know the um, what was all, the all this big big game crab? No, what, I can't think of what's called the Grand Slam. Uh, Grand Slam crab. Yeah. So you know, the, the, there's not been that much change. I think there's been some refinement in the materials and uh, the way we tie them, uh, and certainly that's been improvement. But we haven't stepped that far along the way. So those old patterns still work, and you could certainly throw Dell's Dell's Merc in it. At fish and still mm. get bites. I still do go and fish it sometimes just for fun. In fact, I get Beachy <laughs> to tie me up. I get Beachy to tie me up half a dozen original Del, Dell's Merkins uh, every now and again just because I like them, you know, with the Aunt Lydia's rug yarn and the and the splayed <laughs> um, barred hackle and but, uh, no eyes, you know. Just sort of, they still work. They yeah. still work. I mean, I'm not going to throw them in a permit because I'm a bit obsessive about that, but. Hey, I mean, uh, they, but they still work because the prey image is still there, the, the mm. movement's still there, the shape's still there. The, you know, all of the elements that you need to make a good crab flight are still there. Yeah, for me, it, it's fascinating when you look at a um, the original sort of Dell's Dell's Merc, and uh, well, certainly as it was presented in in most books from from that era, that was, you know, it was always tied on a you know medium to long shank hook. Um, it had an elongated mm. look, almost like a they almost shield shaped, you know, yeah. or, or you know, heart like heart shaped up up the end, like a yeah, they were, like they a turn up a bit, or something. Yeah, a wedge, a wedge shape. I think you'd, yeah, they were cut a bit wedge shaped, weren't they? Yeah, and and they were often, um, you know, apparently um, uh, Dell had a had a penchant for for chartreuse thread, right? Did yeah, I exactly. get that right? Yeah, no, that's and people ask why did why why has it got chartreuse dark chartreuse thread? Dell liked it that way. Yeah. Maybe that was just like, maybe for Dell Brown, and hell, who are we to argue with a duty call 500 permit? Um, yep. Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe that was a confidence thing for him. I don't, crabs don't have chartreuse, you know, um, they don't, there's nothing on a crab that looks like that. Yeah. Uh, but maybe it was just a point of contrast that he liked, that he gave a, a little bit of contrast for the fly. What we might call a hotspot might just be a contrast trigger. Who knows? We... We, can, we don't understand how fish think. We just see how they react and draw conclusions from that. Sure, yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that's, you know, and he often tied them, had them tied in colours that were quite contrasty. Uh, where, mm. You know, maybe it wasn't the, the, the brown and the tan and the cream that worked. Maybe it was just the, the, the amalgam of those colours as seen by fish gave it a mottled appearance. Who knows? Yeah. Um, but, yeah. But some of those traditions, like the chartreuse thread, of, the chartreuse thread, say that seven times quick. Um, they've, ca- they've they've carried on, notwithstanding. We don't have any understanding of the utility of that. That's just the way it was always done. And sometimes it's nice to do things like that because that's the way it was always done. It, you know, if it doesn't 
you know, that kind of innate broke, don't try to fix it. <laughs> but I wonder if, you know, how we spoke about the, the pragmatic side of, um, the practical side of, of why some flies were tied like that. Maybe, maybe the chartreuse was there to, to help the guide track it as it, as it sank. Possibly. Um, maybe that's the only thread he had sitting on his ice that night. Yeah, true. Yeah, yeah, I think we can read a lot of a lot of things in. I, I, I mean, I know we're not going to talk about crab flies now, but if you diverge for a moment and talk about you know what Christmas Island flies look like, and people get very caught up in those flats flies and say, oh, well, it's got to be this colour and this colour and this this combination, and oh, this one won't work. Yep. I mean, much of what much of what they tied was based on the materials they had, which yep. in a third world country of Kiribati, you know, the Kiribati people are very poor. So mm. These guides didn't have access to a wide range of materials, and so they simply used what they had. And so the patterns we have, you know, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy for many of those things. Yeah. And guide, guide flies are like that. They're tied with often limited materials, materials that are chosen because they're available in their area, and they know that they have the right action, and, mm -hmm. Bob's, and Bob's your uncle, pretty much. <laughs> Speaking of, uh, of Bob, um, uh, Bob McVeigh, I think he might have invented the gotcha. Have I got that right? Correct. Correct. Now, are you familiar with where he originally sourced the uh, the wing of the gotcha from? Uh, I'm, you'll tell me if I'm wrong, but I think it was the carpet on the yep. floor of it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that was it. Yeah. He was, he was, um, he was in the Bahamas. Yeah, 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 yeah. And he uh, he dropped something on the floor, and he happened to notice that the carpet on the cab. He was on his way from uh, the airport to the fishing lodge in the Bahamas or something. If I, if I got that bit right, maybe. Yeah, I Who think knows? that's right. Yeah, yeah. And and he saw the carpet. And he thought, "Geez, that'd make a nice wing for a bonefish fly." And yeah. um, and that that fly is amazing. You can um, the the gotcha. It breaks a lot yeah. of the rules I have for fl flat flies. Personal self in imposed preferences like flash or whatever but it's such a good fly you can scale it down for bonefish and um you know of course bonefish in in xmouth on 101's loaded with lead you know like the big big eyeballs and lots of lead along the shank um and i've used the same flies on coral trout and stuff like that you know dredging even um yeah such an yeah. amazing fly in that regard you can you can you know dress it up dress it down um yeah it's such a good fly but um, yeah, it was sort of uh, it's definitely it's definitely a, it's definitely a, one of those classics that you know it's kind of like if you're stuck on a you know a, a desert island that yeah. hopefully had nice flats around it. You know what what sort of five flats flies would you take? It's definitely in that top five. It is because yeah. it, it, it's it, it, it's so it's so broadly imitative of such a range of things um, uh -huh. that you know it's like the clouser. It's not dissimilar to the clouser where you could just say well. You could fish that, and certainly people catch almost every flat species on that fly. And the West Australians, as you say, they catch a bunch of permit on the big, big versions of gotchas, uh, the Exmouth gotcha. So, um, yep, Ningaloo. I'm not quite know, sure what it's, I'm quite sure what it's imitating over there because it, uh, but they certainly. I mean, they fish that fly with confidence, and they catch fish on it. So, you know, perhaps it, perhaps it isn't imitating anything in particular. Perhaps it's just they fish it with confidence and they fish it a lot. Yeah, uh, and that's and that's why I say a lot of patterns. That people say, oh, you've got to have this in your fly box. Well, you know, if, if you fish that fly with confidence and it ticks the boxes that the fish need, you know, whether it looks like the, the, the prey they're chasing or, you know, the prey image theory says that uh, fish or animals more generally, but fish are looking for particular cues in um, what they eat. And if, it, and, if, and if what they see ticks a number of those boxes or those cues, then they eat it. 
And so if it's the right shape, if it's moving, if it's moving in the kind of the right way um, and it's in the right part of the water column, then they go, hell, that's food. Of course, yep. if it doesn't act in the right way, and that's the classic example when a fly is fouled or it's got some weed on the hook or, you know, when, it, when, when you put a cast in front of a fish and the fish doesn't eat, you think, oh, cow, what happened there? That should have that been eaten nine times out of ten. And you bring it in, there's a little bit of shell stuck on the tip of the hook or there's something or that's fouled. You know, you had the right prey image, but it didn't have the right action. So, you know, uh, that 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 idea is um, pretty universal. I think it works across wherever you go. Um, yeah. And I don't know what prey image the gotcha is is putting out there. I think the point is that it puts out a lot of different signals that are that are attractive to fish. So all good flies imitate more than one thing, in my view. Rightio. Well. I guess I'm glad you you brought that point up about imitation because I, I really wanted to go to go fat on crabs here and um we sort of sure. we sort of got off with the gotcha but yeah um, sorry about that we got no we no got no it's fine it's, it's, the organic morphing is what makes these conversations great the um yeah bone uh, crabs for example like um, we spoke about the we spoke about the the merc and I, I would personally I'd classify yeah. that as a suggestive of a you know suggestive crab. You know, as opposed yeah. to some of the highly imitative crabs, like yeah. you know, some of the some of the crabs being thrown around by, um, you know, sort of like I'm, I'm thinking the stream art style ones, or um, uh, they're, they're yeah. very very close to the original. You know, like highly, almost highly imitated. Yeah, I, I think a fish that rejects one of those, you know, like it, it's either something like it to do with the presentation, or they're just not eating. You know, like they might feel like eating a crab at that point in time for whatever reason. You know. Yeah. Um, and and that's you know they're that they're that good you know they look like a crab if they're if yeah. they're presented and tied correctly they act like a crab um, you know what you what we imagine a crab is just sitting on the bottom um, yeah so, so you know like it's it's one of those things but where where do you see crab flies now then and in the future. Well, I mean, I started out, as you know, and uh, let me tell you, let me tell the listeners a quick story that the, the VGDC uh, was developed uh, really, well, before but before and then after Tropical Cyclone Yazzie when um, you were sending me copies of it and I was fishing them. And, yeah. and I, I mean, I think we all knew that goalies like crabs, but people weren't really throwing crabs that often at, at fish. People were fishing people. Most people who fished a crab pattern thought you had to fish it in the Del Brown do not retrieve, you know, like the, the no retrieve, like you throw it out and you just let it go there. Uh, and I think, you know, the, the, the evolution of that fly, the VGDC, which of course was a was a development from a bunch of other flies, including the SS crab and the yeah. uh, and, and all those Merkin style flies. Um, we saw that, hey, here's a fly you can strip and actually it, it's, it's attractive to fish because it, it can be a crab, but it also can be something else crustacean-y bumping along the bottom. So... You know, I think, you know, I have no issue still fishing those sorts of um, tied patterns for most species. When I, when I fish for permit, I'm probably, I'm, I've, I've come over to fishing the highly imitated ones, but <clears throat> probably, probably mostly because I think they get eaten more often. I don't know that I have any real proof of that, though, um, right. because they eat what I throw at them and I've thrown a range of things. Um, yep. So I... You know, I think definitely for a fish like a permit that's very circumspect, it has a good look at a fly, uh, it's certainly probably not eating crabs all the time and it probably needs to have a, 
a strong prey image of, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the sorts of things they eat, crabs, mussels, which are all much the same shape. Um, yep. It really got funky when we got to the moon crab patterns where people were tying incredibly highly imitative and hugely complex uh, patterns of moon crabs, which if people don't know what they look like, if you look up the northern, you know, moon crab, North Queensland, you'll see it's a very small um, kind of spotty, um, kind of armoured, spiky-looking crab. They're a predatory little bugger, actually. They're pretty aggressive. Uh, mm. So w- when we got to that stage, we, we really changed upper gear from mercantile flies, some hard bodies, but the hard bodies tended to be relatively basic Velcro style or suede or leather, mm. uh, a number of different patterns. But when we got to that moon crab phase, everyone went bananas tying these hugely complex imitative patterns and i think people did catch a lot more fish but you can certainly throw those flies with confidence because they look a hell of a lot like a moon crab Um, yeah but you certainly can't strip them uh because as soon as you try and strip a hard body crab they just spin or they they so you're always compromising so for me um when i fish a hard body crab like those moon crab patterns I know I lose something in the ability to land it softly because they tend to be heavy, three to five grams. Uh, you lose something in the ability to to fish it on other fish because other mm. fish that want to fly moving like goldies, often they don't pick it up. Well, they will, but often it's not a great fly for them because it's not doesn't have any movement. Um, yeah, so a goldie's a moving. Goldie's moving. Just just sorry to jump in. Like um, typically, a goldie would be moving a, a lot faster and. Yeah, you know, with with more purpose over a flat, you know, it's just going to fly fly over the top of something stationary. That you know, yeah. let's let's be honest, a, a moon crab is is yeah. imitating camouflage. Like yeah. it's so yeah. it's sort of uh, if the better you are at tying one, the more realistic it is, the more it's going to look like the bottom. Yeah, and gold goldies are kind of like cocaine users. They travel in a straight line, snorting things up, <laughs> um, but they move they move quickly, and they're. Yeah. At, they're relatively agitated at times. Yeah. Per- permit are much more like methods. They, yeah, right. <laughs> they, they dart around in a very erratic fashion. Scratching. And, they just, them. and, then, they, and then they decide they need to have a feed. Um, yeah. And, and it's a very specific, you know, uh, it's probably the KFC, mm. the moon crab's probably the KFC. <laughs> um, you know, it's a, it's a nugget. So... The bastards are clearly the, the bastards are clearly the cannabis users of the world. They're just sliding along the flat, going, you know, where's that stuff I had earlier? Um, you know, yeah, lost it. Uh, looking for their keys on the bottom. Um, yeah. So, so you do when you fish those fish and you use a hard body crab, you, you're making a comp- you've got a, a compromise because you can't you can't necessarily get the same action. Whereas if you went to a Merkin, you've got mm-hmm. a, lo- a lower possibility of getting that super obvious prey image reaction bite, but you've got a greater opportunity to to turn it into something else and give it some action. So that's that's really the paradox yep. that you face. Is that fair to say, do you think? <laughs> Sorry, I thought I was talking to Chris then. Is that fair to say? It's, um... <laughs> oh, is that what he said? Sorry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Was that deliberate? Yeah, it is, <laughs> no, it is no, fair it to say. It's, um, it's one of those... Uh, Things that, yeah, they're all, they're all they're all good analogies. The, the um, I'm just I'm just digressing here when you were talking about Goldie's feeding and I had a had a pretty good trip up north recently and the highlights of it were actually 
you know, some some great sessions on Goldie's doing exactly that, you know, yeah. running over the flat, snorting lines of coke. Pretty, you know? pretty rel- rel- relatively straight. <laughs> I mean, people say they move around a bit, but but pretty much moving in it, moving in it, their direction. You know, they're moving in a direction. Yeah. They're like perfect. Yep. They're squirreling all over the place. They're staggering around. You know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I had it. Yeah, so that that that's a good point, and you know, I think I think too often too, like we um when we think about you know our upcoming flats trip, we might we might be you know preconceiving stuff before we get there that you know might be counterproductive. Like we got it in our heads, oh, we're going to fish this moon crab, and yeah, you know, might even have it tied on, and mightn't be doing ourselves a a favour by by not showing up. Being, you know, with an objective mind going, oh, well, maybe they're not doing that today. Looking at their feeding behaviour, that they mightn't actually been eating a moon crab or a crab at all. Yeah. They might be chasing shrimp or they might be rounding up, you know, little baby bait fish or something like that. And yeah. um, it's that ability to to observe and to and to um, and to adjust. Um, and you need to have that flexibility, you know, in in your approach to your flies and also in your fly box. Um, Definitely. You know, so if you're going to have crab flies, you need to have those highly imitative patterns. Yeah. And you also need to have those patterns you can strip, like VGDCs and, yep. you know, the other more, you know, well, there isn't another pattern that I would recommend. That's a great pattern. Um, but, you know, we're biased. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, but you, you need to have biased, those. Yeah. I guess we can say soft crab flies and hard crab flies as a way of, you know, talking yeah. about the differences. And, you know, the, I guess the Alflexo is somewhere in between. But I keep coming back to that point. Whichever crab fly you pick, Make sure it's one you can cast okay because yeah. you, you do need to cast it quickly and relatively accurately and then you need to be able to – it also needs to get to the bottom because most yeah. crab flies are fished on the bottom, you know. Uh, you might have some bonkers day. Like I had a bonkers day where I fished a, a, a palmed Kralaborski pattern that I tied myself and I had a couple of bastards just eat at mid-water, like, yeah, you know, right. which, they never, which they never do, but they, they did this day. And one of those fish I hooked actually jumped like barramundi. You know, well, we just sort of laughed and rolled around in the boat thinking, what's going on here? Um, <laughs> They're crazy fish. They're so inconsistent, aren't they? Like, Well, he know. was, that one, definitely, yeah. So, yeah. But, it's funny, like, you'll go out one day, they'll be eaten. The next day, they won't, or even the same day, you know. Um, yeah. uh, one day, they'll they'll attack the fly. The next, they'll very gently suck it in. One day, they'll run. The next, they'll fight <laughs> like hell, only when you get them in the net, you know. Yeah. They're, so, they're very, yeah. yeah, yeah. Amos and I have talked about how they're very cartoony. You know, right. they're, they're kind of they're, they're a bit like some a bit like something out of a Bugs Bunny cartoon. You know, they they sort of charge off the flats with their eyes bulging and they've got big, you know, big white lips and like they they mm. they're unpredictable. You know, one day they'll, as you say, one day they'll eat with complete abandon, and the other day they'll spook at the slightest movement. They're kind yeah. of they're, they're, they're funny characters, but they're, they're a great example. I mean. If you talk about extrapolation of species, I mean, most people would think, well, I'd, I should throw the sort of flies that I throw at a Goldie or a Permit at a Bastard, and they will work. But yep. in fact, if you look at what Bastards eat, they, they travel very slowly, they're, they're tailing, they're staring at the bottom, they're a big brim. Um, yep. they're eat, they're, their diet consists mostly of sea snails, worms, little, um, you know, sort of little crustaceans, they probably yeah. eat the occasional little madness or something, but they're, they're, they're not predating. They're not chasing prey down mm-hmm. and hunting it down like a goldie or a queenfish. They're just, they're browsing. And yeah. so they're eating, you know, slow prey. And so you need to, so I've always found that they respond much better to smaller, 
wormy kind of patterns that don't move quickly and you just sort of bump. Uh, yep. And if you can put something like that in front of them, sure, they eat shrimp, but, <laughs> I mean, the irony is that, that they probably don't chase down prawns in the water very often. Uh, yep. you know, they're probably more likely to be eating things that aren't that. So we tie yep. all these shrimp flies to bastards, in fact. Yes, they work, but the bastards may not think they're shrimp. They may think they're just some other little thing on the bottom. So uh, their, guts are full of, their guts are full of sea snails and, and worms. And when I throw, when I throw worm patterns like uh, Borsky's bristle worm at them, they react very positively. They just absolutely hook in. Um, right. there's, a, there's a tip for listeners, I guess. But, I mean, look, this is about prey image is important, but also thinking about what they actually eat is important as well. There's no point throwing something at a fish that, it, that doesn't have any resemblance to its prey image. Yeah. You know, if it's something that can represent a number of different things, uh, you know, a lot of, on my own flats, a long olive fly or a long tan and barred fly can be a manna shrimp, it can be a goby, it can be a little, you know, snapping shrimp style thing, it can be a, a bait fish, depending on how you fish it. So, you know, that kind of each way bet. Um, mentality has got to enter your brain when you fish the flats. You've got to think about putting something on that's going to tick a whole lot of these boxes, and that that's, yep. that can be hard. Yeah, yeah, it can be. Um, it can take a lot of discipline too. I, I put a post up on Instagram just this morning, actually, about put up that. a yeah a fly box, um, and I had I had. Um, Tell me what those flies were in that box. Okay, so down the right hand side. Um, was I had six, um, six pretty much identical. Might have been five actually. Anyway, they were brown crabs, so um, brown sort of VG sort of pattern. Um, now this this particular pattern was very centric on, on um, sorry, this particular fly box was very centric on, on um, you know uh, central Queensland sort of area. Central yeah, central to North Queensland. Anyway, yeah. um, and they uh, with that in mind, you know, it was covering goldies. Um, yeah, it was covering tuskfish and was covering bastards. Now, the I should point out that those flies, I'd, out of those, I'd probably be happy throwing the tan. So yeah, you had sorry brown brown VGs down one side, and then you had a, a size size one or one o um, tan shrimp, and then a size similar size pink shrimp, um, yeah. in varying weights, and um, and yeah, so I'd. If you look closely at those, you'll see there's no flash. I don't like flash in a, in a fly. Um, uh, not big on it either. Yeah. If, if I can, I prefer to have inconspicuous-looking dumbbells, and by that I mean it matches the, the colour of the, the the rest of the fly. Um, you know, I noticed, I can't that, see, I noticed Dave, Dave Little from North Queensland Saltwater Flies, call out to Dave, uh, yeah. has been tying a lot of his flies, his shrimp flies, recently with either the neutral colour, so so yeah. a camo colour, or using a hotspot colour for the dumbbells, which is very effective. So I saw that. You don't, yeah, have, to tie, you don't have to tie in a hotspot if your dumbbells are the hotspot. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, you know, maybe it's not, again, maybe it's not in the, necessarily in the right places. We always tie the pink hotspot as the mouth parts. Um, yeah. But that, that's just because that's what our brain tells us it should look like. Yeah, um, a, hot, a hot spot is to me. I don't think a fish sees that and goes, "Oh wow, that's row." Yep. It just yeah. it's a it's a point of contrast that means the fish notices the fly. And <clears throat> nine times out of ten, when people say to me, "Oh, you know that fly didn't work," or I threw it at the fish, and if I watch them fish, you know that fly, it's like, well, the fish didn't even see that fly. Yes. So you know the hot spots a chance to get the fish to notice it, but without being too absurdly loud that it actually scares the fish away. 
Uh, and you can yeah. certainly scare fish away with colour. Uh, bastards, for me, I found them to be very funny with colour. Uh, yep. A fly, a fly colour that I would fish on goldies nine times out of ten. Can you guess what that colour is? If I had a choice, bright pink. Exactly. If I yep. throw that at a bastard, it'd be yeah. absolutely, you know, um, bolt for the bloody moon. So, yeah. you know, yep. you catch the occasional one, but for some reason. Um, it seems like that colour doesn't work as well. Now, I have no scientific basis for that. It's just a gut feeling. and Most of our conclusions are just gut feelings. But certainly if I throw a, a, a tan bristle worm at a bastard, I feel much more confident about getting eaten than if I throw a pink one. And I've done yeah. both. Um, I haven't ever thrown a chartreuse bristle worm at anything. <laughs> but that's not to say it wouldn't work. It might. <laughs> but, you know, so... Yeah. It's gonna, I'm going to ambush you with a question here, Bill, and I apologise if you if you haven't developed thoughts around it, but I see more and more fly tyres, you know, offering photos of their flies taken under UV light. Um, yeah. Where yeah. are you on that? Do you, do you feel like it's it's an unnecessary diversion or where, where, what do you think on UV flats patterns? I think we're probably just realising ourselves that a lot of the materials we've used over time have high UV content. Yep. Um, I, I really only became aware of how strong it is when I when I started tying bonefish flies again. It's a while yeah. ago now, um, and I hope to be tying them again soon, actually. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, I remember passing a UV torch over my bonefish box, and I thought, oh, my God, yeah. everything in this box is... The ones that don't glow really stand out. Yeah. Um, so I think it can be... I, I think it can be effective, but I am... Mm. I do think on ret you know on reflection I think a lot no pun intended on reflection I think <laughs> the the light refracting off UV materials must look like a bloody disco ball under the water to some fish. Uh, if, so, if they be in UV, I guess that's the big question. I, exactly, I, I don't yeah. know. Uh, maybe they do that. Maybe they don't. You know, I mean, I, to me it looks like if that's what the fish saw underwater. That fish has got to be John Travolta on the dance floor in Saturday Night Fever <laughs> because it's going to be projecting pinpoints of light all over the place. Yeah, true. Um, yeah. I, I do favour dull. I do fa For most fish, I do favour duller materials. Uh, and I don't, you there. Yeah, and I don't overuse. I don't tie much in many years because I just don't have time. But uh, I don't, I don't favour lots yeah. and lots of UV, UV thread. So. Yeah. Hey, yeah. it, it, it works. It gets noticed, I guess, but... Um, it, I, I, I don't, I don't know. know. I, I'm, I'm not saying it doesn't. I'm not saying it's insignificant. For me, I don't I'm not, know. I want to, you know, like, if even if the fish does see in UV, there's still going to be a whole lot of visible light down there as well that, you know, it would be would be sort of um, confusing the, the issue. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it'd, yeah. if, if the... For, so typically, the photos of flies taken with UV, they turn the, the visible light off, so it's dark, and then turn the UV on. You know, yeah. so, so, but in reality, you know, we're, we're not fishing with the lights out. No, it, look, it's a bit like people who take fl pictures of flies when they're wet. That's not how flies look in the water at all. <laughs> it's uh, one of my pet hates. I, oh, I always, just, I always laugh, yeah, that, particularly if it's a bucktail, because you know yeah. that tail's been right next to the deer's ass. So. You know, I think a lot of the flies taken, a lot of pictures of flies taken wet are people kind of licking them to make them look better because they haven't been able to tie the bucktail in well and it's flared. Yeah. Uh, that's just a theory of mine. But 
wrong um, technique and the wrong buck yeah, yeah. yeah. But look, I, I think obviously we, what we're leading to is really that there are a lot of flats flies that appeal to us a lot more than they might appeal to fish. And I think, uh-huh. I, I think less is more uh, in terms of you know, amount of materials, amount of flash, amount of UV. Less is definitely more. I've certainly yep. thrown flies at fish that were, you know, where, the, where I made a good presentation and the fish just absolutely crapped itself for no apparent reason. Right. And you have to wonder whether they saw something in that fly that was just so innately unnatural they just went, I'm out of here. Sure. Um, you know, and maybe that's maybe UV does that sometimes, I don't know. Maybe in, for some fish, like bonefish, maybe they, you know, there's so many people tie UV flies, but it also might be the case they see it better from a distance uh, and, right. uh, and, and, you know, it catches their eye, but... Um, yeah, look, I think it's one of those. There are a lot of mysteries about what fish see, and I think often we don't. We extrapolate and we prophesize and, and we analyze without really having a basic understanding of how fish actually see things. Yeah. Uh, for the most part, I suspect that if you stick to the idea of contrast being important, action and movement being important, uh, and mm-hmm. scale and size being uh, important, then you probably can't go too far wrong. Yeah, well, that's that's an interesting point, and I guess we meet. You know, we it's easy to overlook all of those things if we've, if we've got a preconceived idea in our head. You know, like that fish is going to eat a brown crab. You know, so therefore, yeah, it doesn't matter where I put it, how sloppy I put it down. You know, yeah. how it's how it's presented. You know, what knot I use. Like all of that goes out the window. It's just going to eat a brown crab. You know what I mean? Like that. Yeah. There's a whole lot more to it than that. You know, even down to where you put the 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 fly relative to the fish in the sun. You know, like if you put, you know what I'm saying? Um, I know. I've heard these stories about being other cast to their, you know, out of the cone of their eyesight and stuff. And I thought that just sounds so complicated. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if if you've got the opportunity to, you know, does that? Oh, if you can. Yeah, de- yeah. Definitely. I think when people are tarpon fishing, they're trying to. Put yep. flies in a way that the tarp that you know one tarpon may not see it, but the next one will. Yeah. Just on colour though, you know my, you know you know the tale of my cursed <laughs> purple crabs, um, purple and blue crabs. Um, <laughs> let, let the listeners know about this. So can I actually? I'm going to tell it from my point of view. Oh, right? sure, do. Okay. All right. So, and this is with no disrespect, but Bill can be a little bit impulsive when he sees sees a uh, he sees a pattern that looks pretty juicy. He'll go large on it. You know, it's not uncommon for him to to have to have it. So, anyway, Bill yes. sees this um, purple and black crab on uh, one of one of my favourite um, fly uh, factories at the time was in Florida. It's called uh, SS Flies. Um, you know, it's very centric to to this. I've got this right so far, right? Yeah. Well, he's actually he's actually in Massachusetts, I think, or Maine. Oh, okay. yeah, he ties yeah. he ties mostly yeah. for Peter Smith, the guy's name. He's a brilliant fly tie. Yeah, yeah, he's good, and and he has this this um, black and purple fly and um you know bill's looking ah oh, wow, that looks really good i'll grab one of them you know and he one five, if five, six or something <laughs> oh yeah more like a dozen <laughs> anyway and he had this great idea that he's going to go and, and pound uh you know uh, bastards and and um goldies and um and you know did you throw it at tuskies or not? i threw that fly at absolutely everything not one <laughs> single fish would eat it i actually <laughs> I actually rusted in my fly box and I threw them out without, uh, and I even had to the point where I, one day I said to myself, after about five years, I said, that's it. I'm going to catch a fish on this fly today. I yeah. have to break this. I have to break this hoodoo. Um, 
and I went out and there were fish around and yep. I, I, I could not get a bite. <laughs> I just <laughs> went in in absolute disgust and threw them all in the bin. <laughs> but like we don't really have purple and black crabs where I am. So sure. and had I been had I been a couple of hours either side of where I am, there wouldn't mm -hmm. be those mangrove crabs. You know what? You could throw those things at cod and they'd kill them in the mangroves. Yeah. But on the flats, it was just the wrong contrast. So it just it, it didn't you know, just colors cool. Well yeah. colours cl clearly a good a, a big part of prey image. <laughs> maybe not maybe not colour as we see it. But the yeah. contrast created by that combination of colours is important. And so it, it wasn't doing something. So, yeah, anyway, well, apologies to Peter Smith. Those <laughs> dozen, <laughs> dozen crabs all got thrown in the bin. I, well, I, you know, maybe I never even got a bite. Uh, and I tried. I really tried. I couldn't, even get a, I couldn't even get a bite from a GT. And that is saying something. Like those things will eat a they eat a hot dog if you threw it out in the fly line, I reckon. But yeah, anyway, not every that's a there's a there's a there's a cautionary tale there that sometimes colours don't work. So the black and purple that works so beautifully in the mangroves, yeah, for whatever reason, just did not work on the flats at all. Yeah, I guess you you walk around on those flats. Have you ever seen a black and purple thing cruising around? No. The dark the darkest thing you see is some dark olives and some dark tans and. <laughs> yeah, you know, mantis shrimp are often not the not the ones you see at sea either. They're often about three inches long, and they're kind of dirty olive. Yeah, um, we, you see some peacocks from time to time, but yep. uh, but you know they're iridescent. So, uh, but most for the most part, they're a kind of dirty brownie, dirty brownie olive. So, um, sure. they're certainly not purple and black. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> lesson learned. What do we call this in modern times? Learnings. Learnings. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was a learning. Anyway, <laughs> the same, exactly the same fly in cream and brown would kill those fish yeah. dead every day of the week. Now, you know, I guess if I went back and fished them really hard again, I, I, you know, I guess you might catch something. But yeah, I'm not, I'm not willing to risk it. And I've got none left anyway. I threw them all away. I, I think I probably gave them to someone and said, "Oh, look, these are great flies." If that person's listening, I did do that with sincerity. <laughs> <laughs> but if, if you've still got them, just put them in the bin. Yeah, send them back. Yeah, yeah. play, play it see forward. If, Give some other if, beginner. Yeah. See, if you, see if you can get a refund. <laughs> They're not fit for purpose. Oh, that's so good. Yeah, yeah. I remember that. I just remember that one unfolding. <laughs> well, I I spend days on them, but anyway, it's a great example. So you know, I mean, stick with. That's why I guess stick stick with what people have developed over time, you know, the gotcha, yeah. the crazy Charlie, the veggie DC, or you know, the iterations of that, the, yeah, yeah, the kind yeah. of dazed pink shrimp, uh, the, some yep. of the stuff, beachy ties now, like that end game shrimp, like the patterns that are out yeah, there. it's a favourite of mine. Yeah. Are really, that are very reliable um, and get them in reliable colours uh, and get them, I think importantly, get them in a range of weights because sometimes yes. people, people will have got and done an order and they've had, you know, 18 pink shrimps, but they've got them all in the same size hook and all in the same weight. Um, you yeah. know, tie, tie them, you know, 1-0 and number 2 and even, hey, even number 4. You know, tie some with heavy dumbbells, tie some with bead chain. <laughs> Hell, I would have killed for a decent blind shrimp and Hinchy this year. Right. Uh, when we had, we had, you know, Dave and Coop and I had big permit tailing 
tailing tails out of the water in slicked out calm water. Yeah. If we'd had a if we'd had a blind a blind pink shrimp, that would have almost been the only fly you could have put near them because they were so shallow and so skittish. Um, right. But, you know, we we tried some small patterns, but we um, you know, couldn't get close to them. But you know, have a range of weights because it's also important to have, to give yourself the. You know, when the tide's flooding and there's current, you need a fly to get down. But when it's slicked out and skinny, you need it to land soft. So it's not only about finding favourite patterns, it's also about making sure they're tied in a range of weights that give you some versatility in your, in your fly selection. Are we, should, we, should, we, should we talk about the, like the, the what, what flies are done? What, what do you reckon the ultimate each-way bet flies are for the flats? Ooh, give me a couple of them. Okay, straight off the top of my head, uh, Rage and Craven. Yep, definitely. Um, enough fly, you can you can tie it fat, you can present it as a crab, a shrimp, you can strip it like a bait fish. It's got a bit yeah. of everything in it. It's it's not the greatest bait fish. It's not the greatest prawn. It's certainly not the greatest crab. But you know, like when you don't know what's going to swim along next, um, it's a pretty underrated fly. I'm, I'm partial to it. I've got my biggest ever tusk fish on a, on a pink one that was fast stripped. It went against every rule that yeah. we thought we had at that point in time on catching tuskies. It was just a, a bizarre presentation to, yeah. to get killed, and it did. Um, yeah. Charlie, Charlie Craven. He, Charlie Craven comes from a great evolution of, of tyres of each way bets, which all started, well, it didn't yes. all start with Tim Borsky, but he was one of the pioneers. And if you look at the Chernobyl crab, the the the, the bonefish slider, mm. and all, all of his key patterns, the the bristle worm, all his key patterns have got multiple triggers, multiple multiple prey image um, opportunities. They have a multiplicity of attraction points, uh, right. and they also yep. have a, a, a wide range of ways to fish them. So, yeah, you know, Charlie Craven's uh, Rage and Craven is a great example of the Borsky kind of. Um, aesthetic really um, yeah, continued, and I certainly you know there are there are numbers in between. But um, and I, do we have any Australian patterns like that? Can you think like a versatile each way bets that are kind of uniquely Australian? I'm just trying to think. Ooh. Look, um, I hadn't prepared for this part of it actually. Um, an Australian each way bet. This would be. This would be, you know, the, the most common each way bet is a, a shrimp slash. Hybrid, yeah. uh, crab yeah. hybrid, um, and everyone does those. Yeah, particularly interested in in um, Chris's beast. I haven't had a beast shrimp. I haven't had a chance to fish that yet, but I can't see why that wouldn't work. It's got a three D effect happening. Um, yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot like Vlahos's uh, sand. Yeah, sand flea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stacked, um, stacked, stacked kind of uh, EP or wool or things like that. Yeah, yeah, yep. yeah. Oh, this is another one. Um, Oh God, man, that's a that's a tough tough question. Uh, the Australian ones, no, not really. I, I apologise, I haven't thought of many. Um, my, you know, it's hard to go past a clouser as the ultimate sort of each way sort of bait fish slash shrimp. Yeah, imitation. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, oh no, I don't. I don't have an answer. It was. It's. It's just. It's one of those things. You know, maybe yeah. there's not. Maybe there's not a. Um, and maybe there's not a, a uniquely Australian each way bet pattern because you know we again our tyres are just you know again you know further along in a long line of evolution of, of flats flies. So, but it, um, it could be it could be a different mindset that sort of permeates 
you know, the group think, the collective group think of Australian, you know, the think tank of fly tyres and fly fishers here, um, you know, but does it does it need to be one? I've seen a few people stretch out the quan, you know, into into yeah. something that that's more of a bait fish or a shrimp. Um, yep, yep. Well, I uh, think you you famously tied the quanish for me, which is a giant, a giant quan. For the, well, that, that's a, there's another story. I mean, you know, what do you do? Do you some days do you throw the you know do you do you put out the the chicken nugget or do you throw out the, the hamburger with the lot? And, yeah, you know, yeah, there are true. some days people say some. You know, one of the, I think one of the reasons why Goldies love those veggie DCs is because it's a it's a good meal. There's a bit of meat there. Um, yeah, yeah, sure they'll eat whatever. You know, again, they're not a fussy fish. But they, I'm sure they're usually know, they're, they're usually DTF too, like you know, down to feed. Definitely, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, a tailing fish is a feeding fish, and you know, it's true. Yeah. But um, and certainly if they see it, they can get their mouth around it. I mean, people catch them on on poppers and stuff, so clearly they'll try and yeah. eat something that's bigger than a fly. Um, right, and that that's one of the limitations with flies is we, you know, so you know, conventional guy caught it on a, you know, we catch a you know a permit on a on a hard body lure. Um, yeah, you know, these fish are opportunistic, and and we're trying to imitate something that is. We're fishing in that fish's feeding niche, um, you know, which is quite quite a challenge. But that's why we fly fish because we want to try and make exactly. it eat. We want to try and make it eat that thing, which that's is one of, which which is an imitation of that thing that I'm they eat. I'm going to open myself up to. I'm going to open myself up to a lot of criticism here, but I, I get a, a bigger kick sometimes out of out of feeding the the fish something specific, you know, like. Oh yeah, for me, it's a, a level of satisfaction that feels like, you know, I, I know that fish is up there eating crabs. I'm going to throw a crab at it, you know, and I successfully yeah. tricked the fish into thinking my fly was a crab, you know. That, I know that's wanky and deeply personal, and but that that's you know for me the biggest thing, and um, well, not the biggest thing, a greatest source of satisaction, and, and you know that's probably why I feel affinity for for trout fishermen too, you know, like yeah, th there's you know they they get a kick out of you know, making a fish rise or, you know, making it oh, think look, eating a moth or, a, you know, yeah. some other buggy shit, you know. I mean, hey, I mean, look at they, you know, you fish. I remember the first time I saw a um, oh, stick caddis. I said, yeah. what in the world is this imitating? And it's imitating something that's emerging from a pile of bark that's stuck together. Mm. Or, or something similar from a pile yep. of sticks. So, yeah. I mean, you, you're actually imitating the, in that case, you're imitating the, the kind of life cycle of the the prey, not just the prey itself. Um, yeah. So, you know, I don't think we're in the position of doing what trout fishermen do. And it can that can be incredibly beautiful. You know, I, my first trout experience was going down to fishing the, um, the Macquarie and fishing a red spinner hatch and catching a lovely brown trout on a red spinner. Right. Flying. There's, a, there's an immense satisfaction that goes with going, yeah. look at these things that are flying around, waiting for the hatch. The hatch yeah. happens. You then watch fish rising and then you catch a, a trout on that. There's an immense satisfaction. And, and saltwater fly fishermen out there listening, don't poo-poo trout fishing until you try it. It's a, it's a truckload of fun. It really is. It's highly yeah. technical. It's quite hard. Uh, in fact, I think it's harder than many aspects of saltwater, and mm. you do get to be really detailed about those those choices. Um, yep. We don't have the same 
um, your favourite line analysis paralysis that they do. Um, yeah. But, you know, we, we, we should be thinking about matching the hatch much more than we do. And when we do think about matching the hatch, we should be thinking about how we can do that across a number of probable, probable kind of triggers for those fish. Uh, shrimp are the ultimate each way bet because, you know, the, 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 body, the body shape means you can strip and it looks like something moving through the water column. Maybe it looks like a little fish, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like you, a bait fish pattern strip does, you can't throw a bait, you can't throw a, a four-inch bucktail deceiver out and let it sink to the bottom and go, hey, I'm a crab. That's not going to work. Yeah. But you can kind of strip a one-and-a-half-inch shrimp quickly and it's a bit baity. It rises up off the bottom. It darts and weaves a bit. It's got a bit of a waggle at the end. You, yeah. or, you can, or you can leave it stationary or you can grub it along. So think about flies that do more than one thing or can be more than one thing. And that, that's really important on the flats because you don't know. And you know, leave your times when you're going to compromise like the highly imitative crab to when, you, when you're really focused on that one fish where you, where you are prepared, you are prepared to make that compromise. And that, sure. I guess, permits the classic example. You say, well, I want to catch one of those. I'll, I'll stick with a highly imitative crab and if something else comes along, it may not eat this fly, but hey, I'm really not trying to catch them anyway. Is that part of the attraction, you think, of permit fishing? And that's part of the devastation of fishing for permit, really, uh, and why I will probably give it up very soon. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's just, <laughs> yeah, it, it is part of, it's part of the attraction. It's, 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 I think it's as close to matching the hatch that we get um, in many ways. Because most yeah. other many fish we, we fish with utility or we, I should say more utilitarian flies, uh, whereas mm-hmm. we're very specific. Um, so yeah, I mean I think it, when you match the hatch, <laughs> trouble is matching the hatch with permit doesn't guarantee a bite. It probably doesn't guarantee a bite on those those New Zealand trout streams, those giant browns as well. I mean I think they're probably equally wary, uh, and you've got you know everything has to align. You've it's not just the fly. You know, we're talking about flies tonight, but, you, you know, you're fishing for a big trout. You've got to make sure you make the right cast. You've got to have the right drift. It's got to yep. look right. You've got to, you know, all the things have got to come together. It's much the same in a different way on a saltwater flat. Uh, you've mm-hmm. got to, you know, so there are some parallels there. But uh, in terms of matching the hatch, I think there's, I think I said in that article, I looked back through it because I thought, we, you know, we, we might touch on it. Saltwater fly fishermen are completely unused to looking in their environment for what their fish are eating. Mm-hmm. They don't walk out at low tide and lift up rocks and have a look and see what's out there. And they just kind of use patterns that they think will work. Uh, not all saltwater fly fishermen, but many. Whereas trout fishermen, uh, a part of river craft and stream craft is really about understanding, you know, what sort of terrestrials and what sort of aquatic creatures are. Sure. Carrying, carrying on. So, I mean, the best thing we could do is understand what the fish we're chasing actually eat and then yeah. think about, think about what's, how we achieve that, whether that be through imitation or irritation uh, yeah. and, and what else might come along at the same time and do we want to take the risk of uh, catching or not catching that other fish? And that's, that's kind of the choice. It's, it's a fascinating paradox. Um, so... You obviously know, um, and I've made no secret of it. I'm I'm passionate about uh, black spot tusk fish, right? Yes, I've um, noticed. <laughs> <laughs> and recently, I, I caught one. In fact, you know, a number I of ones I've caught. 
I have Sorry. been present at the capture of both of the largest ones still, I think. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah, that's yeah, correct. Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I haven't, yeah. I haven't beaten those two yet. Uh, I, don't um, think any, I don't think anyone will in the, in the no. near future. But anyway, that's... <laughs> oh, well, well I'll be, be oh, spoke to someone. Does, maybe they, maybe they will. If they do, it's an incredible effort. They're huge fish. Yeah, well, but the, the problem, well, not the problem, but recently I caught one, and, and it's not the first time it's happened, but this thing was just its mouth... Um, and it actually, you know, it, it, it excreted some out of its bum as well. Um, uh, it was absolutely filled with tiny snails. Yeah. Snails. Tiny black snails. Like how, and this thing ate a, what, this one that I'm thinking of the other day, it, it ate a, um, a tan shrimp. Um, yeah. Uh, and yeah, that, but like what, why on earth was it eating, eating tan shrimp? when it was filled like literally to the gills of little black snails like and how do you imitate little black snails well you can't and this is like this this is like the 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 sand dollar fly or the the mussel yeah. fly we know that if you look at the shape of a permit's mouth it's shaped perfectly to eat a mussel or a, or a pippy um yeah. which we know that they dig in the sand and eat bivalves a lot of them eat clams or bivalves of all varieties but they also eat things like crabs and you know they're, they're designed to crunch down hard shell with food inside tuskies are the same they they have those teeth to pick stuff up they're mm -hmm. like hands for them uh, of course they're also highly intelligent only fish known to use a tool you know dropping a rock on a clam i think it was to break it open so you know they we know that they will eat things outside and this is what makes them so hard because maybe 90% of a permit's food is actually clams and maybe 90% of a tusky's food is actually snails. So we're only fishing the 10% the, the of the other stuff they eat. Mm -hmm. um, you know, an old fisherman said to me once about the big slaves, he said, oh, yeah, when you cut them open, their guts are full of starfish. Oh, sorry, um, uh, what are they called? Sand dollars. Sand dollars. Yeah. And so, you know, we, there have been attempts by many people to you know, try and design a sand dollar fly or a clam fly. I remember there's a classic bonefish pattern in Dick Brown's book called the, the wait for it, the clam before the storm, <laughs> which was a which yeah. was a which was a hook with a kind of bulbous, you know, meaty clam with the foot sticking out. And there's yeah. more, and the, you know, there are many patterns that that imitate things because we know fish eat them. But how do you how do you fish them and how do you yeah. How do you make your one little black snail stand out from all the other? Well, you can't. You've really got to. Mm. You, that, that's the that's the hamburger versus the nugget argument again. You've got to put something else there that they eat, and force yep. them to make a choice. Um, and and I think more often than not, um, you know, we're fishing low mileage choices for these fish. You know, a goldie a goldie eats what it sees. They're opportunistic, um, so their prey image window is very wide. These yeah. other fish, their prey image window is quite narrow. And right. so a lot of the things that they eat look like the 90%, even if they're yeah. not. And I guess that's the important thing about prey image is if you look down over a crab, it could be a quite, you know, the shape, you know. So um, that's just my theory, though. Uh, there's no you think about that. it, those, those crabs must be pretty damn tasty for for a permit or a tusky to even bother with, you know, like, because there's a lot of chewing and there's a lot of risk, you know, there's a lot of sharp well, edges. They, 
they got to kill there's, that thing. They got to crush it. Yeah, there's no one here as much. No one here as much meat in one of those things as there is in a big old muscle. Yeah, uh, and muscles don't run away, and muscles don't bite. <laughs> muscles don't attack you when you try and eat them. Mm. They don't actually do anything. Uh, so, yeah, and and nor do worms. And so, I guess a lot of those fish that that we, we don't fish don't all predate in the same way. And having mm. an understanding of what they what their diet is and how they predate obviously helps. Now, there is a whole world of much more detailed analysis that people like Amos and people who are guides yeah. and biologists understand. And I don't, you know, that's about where fish live and how they feed. But if you know fish are on a flat and they're feeding and you know kind of what they're feeding on, that's what I'm working off is that they're there and they're feeding. So you know that they're, you know, they're, they're looking for tucker. Um, but sometimes the, the food we throw at them is probably the 10%, not the 90%. Uh, yep. I'm not suggesting we should all rush out and tie starfish and, you know, uh, mussel flies. Yeah. But I, I'm suggesting we should think about patterns that um, are a, an each-way bet. I think that's one of the benefits of the craven, for example, is that it's kind of – it's got the bulk that it can be a number of different things uh, and – uh, you know that that's I think probably why it gets picked up from time to time. I've yeah. certainly had good strike rate on on tuskies eating it myself. I agree. Uh, yeah. I haven't fished much else on them, uh, but I think you know it's so imitative of a range of things that they would eat. They're not chasing down bait fish, eating them either, are they? Really? No, not really. No. Yeah. Here's one for you. Here's an each possible each way bet. Is a merkin. Yeah. Could be a grab. Um, depending on definitely. how you retrieve, could be anything, yeah. but it also could, could be, be taken as yeah, as a static, re, you know, static retrieve. It could actually look like a, depending on how it's tied, like a clam half buried, um, yeah, with its mantle hanging out, you know. Um, yeah, well, like, I mean, the you know, the, yeah. the thing doesn't look like claws. It looks more like the foot of a yes of a bivalve than it does a yeah. So yeah, absolutely, and I've always felt that that. Is a strong possibility, you know. And, they and maybe that maybe that strong thread, you know. Um, I would say the chartreuse thread, you know, but up the hook shank might might appear to be the where the where the two shells join, you know, like the crack, so to speak. The crack, <laughs> the <laughs> clam crack. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it could be. I mean, we can we can postulate about these things until the cows come home. We, yeah. we don't know. We'll actually never know. Uh, but but certainly, I guess, having a think about it that can't hurt. But, yeah, you're right. I mean, I've often looked at those flies and, and thought, well, you know, they most of the – some of those crab flies look more like bivalves than they look like crabs. Yeah, sure. And, and, the, and there's a kind of – there's a weird paradox that says perhaps we've caught more of those fish because of what it actually looked like and not what we meant it to look like. I, yeah. I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if there was a, some truth in that, uh, particularly for things that eat those, you know, those, those hard. <laughs> you know, right. every, permit who ever caught a, every permit fisherman who ever caught a permit on their crab actually caught it because the permit thought it was a clam. I mean, yeah. that wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> but that's the difference between the highly imitative, you know, the suggestive shape Compared with the, yeah, the the moon crab, which obviously looks like nothing other than a moon crab because they look so much like a moon crab, 
they can't be mistaken. Mm-hmm. So, you know, perhaps the 90%, perhaps the patterns that fit in the 90%, you know, are, are something that aren't what we meant them to be. But the highly, highly imitative ones are really kicking goals in that 10%. Yeah, because they really do look like that other part of this, albeit a smaller cohort of prey that gets eaten. But who knows? This is just speculation. Yeah, that is that is speculation, and we, we haven't spoken about bonefish flies in depth yet. Like, you know, these are almost the other end of the spectrum. Bonefish seem to look for a reason, in my experience, anyway. Um, well, and I've only, I haven't fished the highly educated, selective ones, maybe Hawaii or whatever. I tried. But, I failed. Yeah, I, f- I feel like they, um, the you know the CI ones. They almost look for a reason not to eat something. You know what I mean? Like it. Yeah, yeah. They're you know what what we're using, Crazy Charlies and CI Specials or whatever. They're, they're quite simple flies. They're very suggestive rather than imitative. Yeah. Um, to to our way of thinking, at least anyway. You know, and definitely. Yeah, it's more about well, the I movement. Think, yeah, I think that's why they work so well here. I mean, you think about the flies that. Yeah, take the top five bonefish flies, um, you know, the Crazy Charlie, you know, McVeigh's Gotcha, those sorts of things. They they work equally well here because, again, they're, mm. they're suggestive of a range of things. Uh, it's not always apparent to the fishermen what they are suggestive of. I know that I think the McVeigh's Gotcha was much more intended to be a small bonefish than it was. People look at it and think it's a shrimp pattern, but, in fact, I think it's was intended to be more suggestive of a bait fish, mm-hmm. whereas the Crazy Charlie was intended to be more suggestive of a small crustacean, possibly even a crab. Um, whereas, in fact, you know, I would say it's also equally suggestive of little worms and stuff like that that, that bonefish obviously eat. But um, mm-hmm. there are so many patterns that look similar but do a whole lot of different things. The yeah, bonefish flies are a fascinating topic and you could spend a whole podcast on those things because there are so many patterns that we've not explored. Everyone should go out and buy, a, you know, or, or get a copy of a good bonefish fly book and just have a look through it and just think to yourself, which yeah. of these flies am I already seeing because they're, you know, the Verkas mantis shrimp is a good example. Yes. You know, here's a, you know, rest in peace, Bob, um, uh, died last year, I think. Uh, he did, yeah. Yeah, uh, after a pretty tumultuous end of his life, unfortunately. Uh, the, you know, his his little mana shrimp pattern doesn't actually look that much like a mana shrimp, but it's so highly suggestive of a range of little critters that it, it you can see it's going to work. And an yeah. awful lot, awful lot of flies borrow the Verkas mana shrimp sort of pattern. Similar sure. Bor- Borsky's patterns are much the same. You look at them, you think, wow. I mean, you know. <laughs> have, you so ever seen, have you ever seen a pattern he tied called the Green Zima? Yeah, I have, yeah. In fact, I've got one. I've, <laughs> got, I've got one. Yeah, yeah. I bought some flies from Tim um, a while back now. Just yeah. uh, some, I always meant to display them. Uh, but I've actually fished a couple of them. And I keep meaning to take them out and fish them again and catch a fish on them because ultimately I think he'd prefer that people caught fish on them than actually put them into a kind of little yeah. a little prison on a wall somewhere. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I really enjoyed listening to his podcast because he's a pretty kooky dude and I like that. Uh, but, the yeah, it, it, he's a great example of, you know, all of those flies he tied that were 
you can upsize from a four to a two, two o, and they still work perfectly well. The Chernobyl crab, if it's tied well, is just absolutely bloody deadly. As is the slot, the bonefish slider. I think is one of the greatest all-time utility patterns because it can be almost it is a utility. Yeah, yeah, it can be yeah. almost anything. Yeah, it's such a such a you know a great fly. Uh, mm. But in recent years, as I said, I've, as you know, I've focused mostly on the the bristle worm, which is such a simple pattern, uh, mm. and it is so deadly. It's very clouser-like. Uh, you know, a lot of the times clousers work on the flats, I think they work not because they're jiggy boat fish, but because they're a kind of long, you know, more wormy sort of pattern. So uh, particularly in those duller colours like, you know, dark, you know, browns and, and dark tans and those things. I had a lot of, I don't fish clousers very often, but they, mm -hmm. they, still, they still work. Yeah. Work very yeah. well, in fact. It's funny, actually. They're um, they're so damn consistent. Aren't they? You know? I almost feel like I'm cheating when I put a clouser on. Some days, if I do it, uh, <laughs> I but look at what people tie on in competitions and the Hinchy comp. Yeah. A lot of yeah. people fish clousers because they know they work. Uh, well, you know, it's funny you should mention that. I mean, I mean, subconsciously, you know, putting all of what we spoke about together tonight um, together into a trying to pull commonalities out of a lot of it and one of the things that keeps coming back to me is um a lot of the most successful flies are one that people actually have confidence in Absolutely. and you know and here you are talking about a clouser and you know people yeah. climb on if they know they'll work they know they'll that's work the ultimate, you know, that's the ultimate compliment yeah and it, it's almost like it takes you know that confidence takes an element of doubt out of their fishing and it gives people reassurance and you know i can't help but wonder if if that's the somehow the ingredients that uh, it's an intangible ingredient in a um in any presentation you know is, is that what makes it work um, <laughs> you know well i think you've spoken on the podcast a lot about fishing with confidence and and the you know the way in which we approach our fishing obviously brings you know is a is a major factor in our success and i know you yeah. talk about the donut days and all those things but that's not to say you shouldn't try new flies, and I think you know yeah. you and I, you and I've tried a lot of flies, but I, I perfectly understand someone who, you know, decides to fish mm -hmm. one particular flats fly, and and never changes, and it will work. Yeah. It will work. I mean, you could fish the Charlie Cravens, Raging Craven on the flats every day, all day long, and still catch fish, including most species on it, and never have to change the fly. Yeah, uh, but. That can be a little tedious as well, and you want to also challenge yourself to see what else fish eat, mm. and that involves seeing what fish don't eat and getting rejections. and And often, when people say, "I had a refusal," if you saw it, you think, "Well, actually, the fish didn't see the fly." Yeah, when you get a real refusal from a fish, you know all about it. When it comes over, hovers over the fly, looks at it, and then just you know charges off the flat. So, yeah, it, it, there's some fun involved in switching things up and trying different things and 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 also seeing whether a change of fly might give you a greater success rate it's not that you won't have success on one fly but you might get more frequent bites on another fly or you might get a a different reaction uh so it, it's also about that sort of stuff but look flat flies are also similar to each other on one level that you know that they will mostly work 
if you looked in my flats fly box, you'd see there would be commonalities across all those flies. Yeah. Uh, many of them would be similar colours. Many would be similar size. Many would be similarly weighted. Many would have a, a, a similar sort of attributes, whether it be wiggly legs or yep. long beards or, 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 you know, wispy wings. However, you, there wouldn't be so much variation uh, to, the, to our eye, but sometimes those subtle differences can make a big difference to fish. They can. And, and we don't necessarily capture in our mind what that difference is when we fish, which is why we keep looking and because perhaps we don't understand what it is about the one fly with a subtle difference that made the difference for the fish. I'm just going to jump in here too. For, I've had the privilege of looking at Bill's fly boxes, most of them anyway, or <laughs> 29 or 30 of them. There's a lot of them. <laughs> well, less now. I've, got, I've slimmed down. I probably I look to be honest, I've probably only got about ten ten flats. <laughs> Back to ten. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, the the ten the ten flats boxes, the ones I've looked in, he's um uh, unless he's changed things up, he, he actually arranges them um uh by weight. So um, you know, broadly speaking, he he splits them up into, you know, weight, which is of course more to do with this the sink rate. Is that have I got that right, Bill? Yeah, pretty much. Weight and I mean, I will have a bar. I, I do yeah. have the one yeah, box. You'll have I your have bastard box. Yeah, I've got box a, or whatever. Yeah, yeah, but within that, sort of that particular box, you definitely, know, definitely. In, Interboxular speaking, it's. Do you like that word? It's made it up. Yeah, definitely, it's, definitely. It's, weights, weights important. Weight and size. Yeah. Uh, I never realised how important that is until I fished Florida uh, with a really nice guide who, when he, I did ask him if I could see his fly boxes, and this is something you probably shouldn't ask your guide just to. Um, tip for the yeah. for the unwise um but he was generous enough to show me uh it was very clear to say don't no photos of that sort of stuff which i didn't want to do anyway yeah and when i saw that he had probably uh, let's say uh eight patterns yeah but those eight patterns were in four different weights and probably four different sizes so <clears throat> and 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 colors so sure, he, yeah. he had a box of seducers, which is not giving too much away, which was like a Plano tackle box with, mm. you know, two O chartreuse with, be, you know, bead chain, and, yeah. and and down in size and weight, then white and then ten. So very methodical about having option, using flies that worked, but within the flies that work, having options mm. for for size, hook size, weight, and colour. And colour, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, like, when I say yeah, hook size, hooks, weights, weight, hook size, and colour predominantly, uh, which was a revelation for me. Yeah. Uh, because, it, you know, I, I typically, like many of us, just had a box of sort of 40 different things, yeah. which I'm trying to pick from. So, now I'm much more disciplined now about having... <laughs> a row, a row of a row of ten. I don't really buy flies in less than six or eight, but mostly, you know, sort of eight of each. And I'll get. So when I put in an order with someone, I'll do look. I'll get uh, pink shrimps, and I'll get uh, four on number two with small mm -hmm. dumbbell, mm -hmm. uh, four on one o with you know large dumbbell. Uh, that that's a kind of basic approach, but. Certainly, you could do more than that. So, 
I will typically go, well, I'll have that pattern in pink and tan and white in sizes maybe four, two, and one O, or more typically two, one, and one O. And I might change the hook there too. For example, you can't get SL12S in size one. You can only yeah. get number two and one O. So I would get the C70SD Mustad done in, in, in one. Uh, it's also <laughs> slightly slightly longer and, and better for a shrimp fly, in my view, than the yep. SL12S. Uh, but I don't use many hooks other than that hook and the um, to the Mustad C70 SD and the SL12 S, a couple of others, some little black hooks, the SL 3 yeah. H. So yeah, get get the same pattern in four colours, three weights, you know, um, three sizes, and, and that can really help. So, so long as you know that pattern works, I wouldn't recommend going and getting <laughs> 25 black and purple crabs. <laughs> It's, I'll have those black and purple crabs in 201 and number four. Yeah, it's, it's got to be something that works. It's sort of funny, once again, you, you've nominated, you know, a, a hook hook patterns based on, you know, you know they work. Yeah, so, I, do, I know those know, ones work, definitely. Yeah, and you, and you spoke about the guides, you know, fly box, which coincides with the guide we used for, for uh, tarpon in. In Florida, you know, once once he, you know, late in the in the thing, he let us look at his fly boxes. I think they're best friends, aren't they? The guy oh, yeah. used and the guy used. Yeah, and he had he had yeah, literally he had two colours and like if you you had to look close to see the difference, but they were they were arranged slightly different. It was the weight and the the material, but yeah, they were fair for all intents and purposes fairly similar. You know, yeah. but he explained to me that you know, I said, geez, you got all the same ones in there, mate. Why are you taking so long choosing them? And he goes, well, actually, they're not the same. You know, they're, yeah. they're different different weights. Um, like you mentioned, different hooks. There was two colours and, you yeah. know, the length the length of the um, uh, the zonker in them was slightly different and, yeah. you know, that, that there was small variations but, you know, ostensibly there was less than half a dozen different flies in there. Um, yeah, so Look, it was... That's the same, it's the same in permit guides boxes too. Like, there's... It, there's there's variation, but there's not huge variation. Yeah, you know, there'll be there'll they be confidence. exactly they know what works. So there'll yeah. be a, there'll be a I mean, I'm not giving anything away here for uh, my mate Dave. Uh, it's really but if you looked in his fly box, uh, you'd see that there was a range of patterns and a range of sizes, but they would generally be uh, you know reasonably similar. Uh, the, there'd be the, the ones that he knows works and there'd be extrapolations on that in different sizes um, from you know, kind of maybe even from a 2.0 size hook down to a, maybe almost a number four hook. So the, it's a, it, there's a clear preference. Well, I mean, copying what guides do, their fly choice is about the best thing you could possibly do because they actually know yeah. what they're doing. <laughs> they they have to tie on a fly that catches a fish because that's their job. Uh, you know, most I wouldn't ask most guides about you know the constitutional state of human rights law um, mm. because I know that that's not their bag. Um, likewise, I mean, I, I recognise that what they do is is have to pick a fly sure. every day that's going to maximise the chance of catching a fish. So when you see those patterns repeated and you see those 
that selection is very much, uh, it's, it may not be methodical, uh, and guides can be more obsessive than each other. Some guides may be more obsessive and compulsive about the way they do that, but you'll definitely see repeating patterns of similar characteristics. Uh, and often yep. it's nice to talk to those sorts of fishermen, not just guides, but also good flats fishing about why do you choose that fly, particularly if it's repeated in their fly box. So if you look yep. at my fly box, you definitely see the Raging Craven in size 1O and number 2. You definitely yep. see Dave's pink shrimp in in, in three colours, pink, mm -hmm. all white and all tan in 1O and number 2. You definitely see, you know, uh, the spawn, Peterson spawning shrimp in 1O mm. and number 2. So that you can get a sense of the patterns that are there after after all the time I've fished, uh, other patterns that I know work. And then there's other, <clears throat> other other patterns that we just like to fish because they're fun or uh, yeah. we just want to catch a fish on that fly maybe. <laughs> It's funny, hey, I was, I was sort of thinking in preparation for tonight, you know, and, and you've just nominated yours. I'm sort of, you know, I, I like a little tan shrimp, obviously, I like a crab. You know, in fact, a, a little tan shrimp is almost, you know, the for me, the, I'm guessing like the my wife's equivalent might be the little black dress that she wears when she goes out or something, you know what I mean? Like it's it's fairly ubiquitous, you know, it's one of the first things. It's it's my confidence fly. Definitely. Um, and it, it's sort of funny and... I've got a question for you, Bill, like, you know, um, how do I put this without sounding crass? You know, when you're, you're young and you're fairly inexperienced and, you know, you want to meet ladies or whatever and you, you get, you know, or you, you might have a friend like that and you go, you just need to be confident, mate. And you're like, the only way you get confident is, you know, giving it a crack. How does, how does somebody get confidence, get fly confidence? I know, I heard Chris say on a program the other night, that he doesn't change flies, he sticks with patterns and fishes them uh, yeah. with confidence. And I, I think that's, that's he's at the stage where he knows he can do that. But I think yeah. if you're just starting out, it, it's it's worth just looking at what people are, I mean, obviously it's worth finding out what people are catching the same species yeah. on, but that doesn't mean that that fly will necessarily work the only way. In, that, in that area. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, the, the fish are opportunistic and they'll eat different things in different places and there's, very mm. much different different food on different flats, but I think starting with the traditional the traditional patterns that that work well, uh, I think is a is a good idea. I think starting smaller rather than larger is a good idea. If yeah. that, you know starting at a number two rather than a number a one o, just yeah, that I think that can make a difference because you can present better. Um, often I think you know if. People say to me, oh, I'm having trouble getting bites out of fish. I say, try downsize that fly. Try the same fly and downsize it a bit. And that, that can sometimes work. Uh, I mean, you can reach out to people and ask for advice. That They'll often give you advice about the flies that work. Um, read, you know, articles and books from places like Fly Life about those species. Yeah. Collate a kind of get it, see, see what the consistent patterns are that people recommend. You know, if you ask this question on a forum or on Facebook, you'll get 75 different answers. That's okay. That's okay. Have a look at the split of answers and see what's the commonalities there. Uh, yeah. And, and, and also it's important to think about what will give you that each way bet. So without having to make some precise, I need the, you know, the, the cocktail onion root beer coloured shrimp in one <laughs> with the with the with the chartreuse UV thread. Uh, you're not looking for that answer. You're really <laughs> looking for what's what's that kind of utility fly that will yeah. work, uh, and then 
that that's a good starting point, I think, because you want to catch fish. You don't want to waste your time throwing. You know, looking at water. I think um, there are some colours that don't work on the flats. I, on the firm yeah. believe that blue is a terrible colour on the flats. Blue is terrible. Uh, for yeah. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> and, and the other the other thing I would say about matching the hatch is. There's a there's a long-standing philosophy that says when you fish for bonefish, you match your fly, in kind of the the thread colour and the wing colour, uh, or the highlight colour in the crystal flash to the bottom. So you fish mm. a tan, you fish a brownie flat, you fish a more tan, sort of, you know, Christmas Island special style fly. That's fine and that does work because it doesn't look like an alien sitting. You know, creatures that live on those flats will. That are that are eaten will tend to blend in, so they don't get eaten. Sure, but don't fish something that's so closely to the bottom that it's so camouflaged that the fish can't see it. And mm. that's a mistake I see people make often. It does need to contrast, which is why I like a lot of the flats I fish are have got dark tan or olive uh, bottoms with some rubble, and so a, a pale pink. Bright, brightish pale pink really contrasts. Mm. It's, a, it's not an unnatural colour, and B, it, it, it contrasts very well with the bottom, so it gives the fish a good chance of seeing it. And I think that's very important because particularly fish that are moving fast, they, they don't have a long look at your fly. You don't want them to have a long look at your fly, you just want them to see it and eat it because the longer they look at it, the, the greater the chance they'll work out it's not food. Of course, yeah. So some fish, I think, are looking for a reason to eat a fly, and some fish are reason for a reason, looking for a reason not to eat a fly. Definitely, you know? yeah. And you know, they'll yeah. both look at a fly differently. Bill, got got a couple more questions. I just realised we're we're getting out. Yeah, up we're way over. Yeah, yeah. Um, flash on flats flies. What are your thoughts there? Not a big fan. Uh, yeah, a couple of strands at most, and depending on what you fish for. But for the most yeah. part, I don't. I actually often pull flash off my flies. Uh, yep. I, the UV is a bit different because I probably don't always know how much UV is in the fly. Yeah. But flash, I think, yeah, I mean, sparingly. Mm -hmm. Sure. Sure, I hear you there, mate. Um, yeah, it's one of the first things I'll do is, you know, tie a fly on and, and you know, I'll see it's sinking correctly, that it's, you know, performing correctly, and I'll also pull out any flash. And if there is flash, I like it to be, internal and i mean by what yeah. i mean by that is i don't like it you know like some some tires do flash for feelers on shrimp or or yeah. Or yeah, I don't, you know yeah extending beyond the extremities of the flight unless um, i'm fishing for toad trophy toadfish and they'll eat anything and they they need that flash <laughs> to find the fly they're not at all scared by flash they'll just conquer that flash yeah. and, and guts it down oh yeah yeah that's my problem then yeah yeah and as much as chris thinks this is a wind-up he one day we'll take him out in the flats and show him what a trophy toad looks like. You know, those meter-long meter guys. They are big, yeah. That will crunch your, crunch your fly to pieces in about two minutes flat. And then when you unhook them, they'll swim back and bite your fly line in half because they're cranky. <laughs> <laughs> this is real. Yeah, yeah, that is, it is, yeah. is a real problem, those guys. Um, I'm going to keep a pair of bogey grips or pliers just for that day then eventually eat, you know. So, uh, yeah, just splash the water and kick them away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so um yeah that's uh pretty much wraps it up i can't think of i mean i still feel like we've got another hour or so if, oh know, we could but that'd, 
that yeah. would be incredibly boring for the listeners. I suspect. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, I yeah. think we covered. I think we covered covered stuff pretty well. It's been great. Yeah, good. Good. Hey, Bill, I've got a question for you. As a left shoulder, sure. what, what sort of stuff would you like to see on a podcast in the future? I reckon it's good talking to people who fish a lot and get yep. a sense of what how to successfully fish kind of unique fisheries. Yes. Uh, I'd love to hear some more about Murray Cod. Uh, right, I'd, yep. love to, I'd love to hear about some of those lesser-known Australian species like yellow belly, Macquarie perch, uh-huh. Uh, because, you know, for us, you know, I, I have the benefit of fishing sure. for goal, goalies and stuff, but I don't, you know, I'm intrigued by those those other yeah. iconic Australian species. Same here. Same here. Um, top, te- top of te- mind. Here you go. Technical, technical detail is always good. I think people love technical detail about what yeah. works, particularly if there's a good narrative that goes with it. That always works well. Sure. Yeah, well, look, top of my uh, list in Aussie natives here. Yeah, I'd like to know more about Macquarie perch. I don't know if there's any viable fisheries. In in fact, I'm wondering if they should be should be targeted. You know, more. more I'm not really. I don't. Interested. I don't are they, have they got an endangered status? Have they? I don't know much about them. Oh, I think <clears throat> I don't know what their. I'm, I'm ignorant as to what their their status is. I know that there's only recently they've found a few spawning populations. In fact, they. Um, um, there's some of the rehabilitation of the of the Murrumbidgee into their original range. You know, they found a okay. few new home pools. So they've got quite unique, um, um, uh, you know, like a home pool where the majority of this morning yeah. happens and they migrate up and down. I, I need to know more about it, but that, that's more yeah, of a human interest thing. The other one I want to know about is um, trout cod, you know. I mean, as a, as a big... Definitely, yeah. Yeah, that, that fish is much, you know, very aggressive. Um, they reckon it, it pulls harder than three or four, um, you know, cod, um, Murray's. Okay. And they, um, you know, they're more adapted to live in fast waters um, and that sort of thing. So, you know, plus they've been a fish that's been, had their original range decimated and their numbers decimated for whatever reason, desnagging and water quality issues. And once again, they're on a, a bit of a comeback in, in a lot of places, but um you know that's that's that sort of things as a parochial Australian that really appeals to me. Um, I think there's a whole there's a whole lot of other kind of species we're just discovering now that like mm-hmm. the you know like the the various types of of bastards and yeah I know we're really going really to talk about there that guy you fished with the other day. Oh yeah, Glenn Glenn Hoppy yeah he um yeah. yeah managed to catch one of those big West Australian moorwongs on fly. It was amazing listening to him about his. His uh, flying fishing technique for those fish, which I won't give away. Yeah. But suffice to say, I think I think it's fair to say that uh, <laughs> his time fishing bastards in Magnetic Island, yeah, um, and other places like around North Queensland, uh, probably gave him a few ideas about how to approach them. So good, yeah. Pretty similar sort of fish. We should probably cut that out. Actually, <laughs> I should probably shouldn't say that. To go there, just lock in his name, Chris, if you're there, buddy. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But he, he yeah, he, certainly there's some lessons to be learned. I mean, they're the same fish; they're just in a different place, uh, yeah. and they, their feeding habitat is almost almost the same. Yeah, so you definitely, you can. I, I think a lot of those things we don't see them in shallow water. So, you know, bonefish we don't see fishing in shallow water very often, but now we've got some people catching bonefish. Out yeah. of those reef reef flats, uh, yes, they're, they're probably eating the same stuff that bonefish eat everywhere. I guess. Yeah, uh, I've know. been talking to a guy um, 
uh, he's I think he's put the photos up now, so I feel like I can talk about him. Um, Zane Templeman, and oh, yeah. um, he's found he's found a few spots. Um, and he fishes in, in a wide area. Um, He's been killing it. God, the fish yeah. that guy catches is making me feel very green with envy. Well, once again, Bill, he's a he's a guy, you know, in, in he describes himself as relatively new to fly, and he fishes he fishes a lot of other you know non fly fish and things. He brings a whole bunch of transferable skills to to fly fishing and experiences, and it's it's fascinating. These guys have a lot to offer, and I love I love hearing. Oh. Um, He's just the same as just the same as the boys like the Chilean raw doggers from the Hinchy comp, yes. who bring a bring a super smart skill set from conventional fishing, mm. pick up pick up flying in a couple of years, are uh, doing exceptionally well, and and um, yeah, definitely there's so there's transferable skills. I'd love to see what's in their fly boxes. I don't ask, but you know, I'd yeah. love to see what Zane and and Marty and all that crowd are fishing because <laughs> yeah, yeah. It'd, be, it'd be interesting to see how many commonalities there are between. Kind of old dogs like me who are traditionalists at heart, but also experiment with just to see how much they've been influenced by That's the, domin the, the dominant paradigm of flats fly choices and yeah. uh, what you see and read on in, in forums and on Facebook and those things. The, the um, more exposure we at Instagram, yeah. probably. Yeah. yeah, that's true. Yeah, I think I feel like the more exposure we have, the the further down the wrong paths we can travel. You know, as we or you know, we just become ignorant to other schools of thought. Yes, um, we shall refer this to. We we'll refer to this as the the path of the purple crab from here on out. I think definitely <laughs> <laughs> like, the wrong path. <laughs> I like talking to these guys. They, you know, they talk about um, the, the things we sort of, you know, we take for granted, like lines, for example. You, you know, like oh no, I use a floater for that, or I use a you know an intermediate for that because I want this presentation. You're like. You know what? You're right. You've you've thought about this and you've you've brought a different mindset and you know it's sort of um, yeah yeah it's it's something you know I I get passionate about flats fly lines is probably worth another another chat at some point about surrounding that bill um, suffice well, to they're say not, well they're not well they're not polluted by years of tradition they've, they've yes. come to it you know with a with a fresh mind and and we certainly benefit all of us from. Fresh minds in fly fishing because it is so it is so wound up in the yeah. um, It's true. Even even us, even our generation, we're scared to break the tradition uh, in many yep. ways. So yeah, but the, I think the new generation is not scared to break the tradition, and so they're discovering yeah. stuff and catching fish that we we didn't. So that's important. Yeah, yeah, we got to got to be open to it. One final question, Bill. What um, we start spoken about the fly at the moment. Um, what uh, what fly lines are you using on the flats these days, mate? What's your <sighs> fishing? Always fishing lots of different lines, but recently yep. I've gone back to very old favourite, which is the Cortland Ghost Tip, uh, yep. which is a, a long, pale yellow uh, line head, not super long, but a, you know, sort of reasonably long, yep. with a clear intermediate, slow sinking tip. Yes. Uh, I've always liked that line because it's very um, cast very well and it's not sort of flashy and, yeah, it does the job. It's, I mean, there's plenty of great wet tip lines out there. Yeah. That one's been around for a long time and I've, I've rekindled my love affair with that particular one. Uh, so, Got yeah, a good tape, great, great line. Mm. Yeah, very smooth, very easy to cast. Lovely. It's not a super aggressive taper. It's aggressive yeah. enough to cast well. 
but it's really good for fishing for the bastards when they're just drifting slowly. It's got that mm -hmm. bit of a sim tip on the end, uh, and it does. It's not dumpy, so you can throw it quite accurately and quite softly. So yeah, great line. Yep, that, that one's that one's definitely. Yeah, yeah. Well, that, the chain gang. Yeah, yeah. It's funny. Yeah, we talk about confident flies. Is also, you know, a lot to be said for you know the presentation, the confidence that comes with something you're very familiar with. So. I just want to, you know, it's interesting know, how you bring, yeah. bring that up. Yeah. I, I don't believe that line's changed its taper mm -hmm. uh, yeah. since I first fished it, which would be probably, it's it, it feels much the same. So, yeah, uh, it, it, you know, sometimes that old adage, you know, if it ain't broke, don't, don't try and fix it, is true. And that is, mm -hmm. we've seen so much evolution with fly lines that, Sometimes when you pick up those older lines and tapers, they still work fine. And that's a good example of one that still works they work fine. Great. Yeah. There are so many different word tip options out there. Uh, you know, we've talked about them on this podcast before, but that one, yeah, I've gone back to that because I, I quite like it. And uh, and I've also fished a floater of theirs, again, for uh, not sentimentality, uh, but they had a floater called the Tropic Flats Plus 555, which is part of the Triple Five range. And they have a new line, which is very similar to that, which is part of their guide series, um, mm. which which is also I like quite a lot. It's, again, a decent sort of longish head. So, yeah, I mean, I fish a lot of different fly lines and different brands, as yep. you know, but uh, always have a, a bunch of different manufacturers' lines <laughs> on reels. But there are some there are some favourites we come back to, and that's one of them. That, that, the ghost yeah. is definitely one of those favourites. I'm not surprised to hear that, Bill. There's... If there's one thing, there's two things you're good at. It's uh, it's flat flies and um, and you know your knowledge on lines, mate. Um, amongst other things, I'm not saying you're limited to those, but I love having a chat about <laughs> that. Uh, comes that comes at great expense of spending lots of money on flies and lines. Well, you you got to be addicted uh, to something, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm not out. That's right. I'm not out buying coke and meth, which is you know probably good for the family. <laughs> yeah, um, not not probably, like permanent <laughs> <laughs> and I must, I should qualify that those comments I made were based on my uh, practice of the law or in my experience of those particular clients as opposed to any personal experience I might have had. Quick to, <laughs> quick to point that out. Uh, Characterisation <laughs> of those fish. Yeah, yeah, well, you know, I appreciate you pointing that out, Bill, and we'll, um, I guess that's a good point to finish on, mate. So uh, it's oh, time well, it's to talk to you time to wrap this puppy up <laughs> oh no worries <laughs> thanks Bill see you mate
world Expressions on the faces of the starting millions of power I come down Computer drives a clan He's the motive and the conscience of the murder He's a preacher on TV The false sincerity The former editor By the big computers and nuclear bombs The kids with no bombs And a pitfall that he's inside me Exercising his authority We've got the American Jesus Bolstering national 